People have gathered around ideas since the beginning of time, each successful collaboration pushing innovation forward, building a stronger future. Motorist Insurance Group and Brick Street Insurance have combined decades of experience to create an even better one-stop shop for agents and policyholders, encircling businesses and individuals with coverage at every step in life's journey. We are now in Cova Insurance. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts... Joe Lanza. X out. Go listen to some boring podcast where they're, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza. Because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Cranch. <laughs> Give me a name. Like Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. Like in, in the big spot. Who delivers better than this guy? <laughs> Stop yelling at me. I agree. All right, welcome once again to the Voices of Wrestling Podcast. I am Rich Cranch alongside, as always, the King of Banter himself, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, how's it going? It's uh, going good. My My... My dog escaped from the yard before before Uh-oh. the show. Is that and, why you were late? Yes. Uh oh. And oh, is is it dark yet by you guys? Or it is. Yeah, like it's late dusk. I would call it. Okay. Okay. All right. Um. So she got out of this chihuahua. So she dug a hole under the fence and got out of the yard. <laughs> and um, there's like a little alleyway behind the fence in between. Like my like like the houses on the on the opposite block are like back to back with my house, right? So there's like yeah yeah okay. So there's like this little alleyway between we don't sh- I don't share a fence with those neighbors. There's like a little, but there's that little gap. There's like yeah. a little gap between your fences. Okay, there's a little alley where sometimes people walk their dogs because they think they're slick because then they think they don't have to pick up the shit. You know what I mean? Because it's hidden. <laughs> it's public property and nobody owns it. So right. So so it's this awful like alleyway. So I peek over my fence. I see the chihuahua in the alley. This happens occasionally, but the you know then I gotta get then I gotta leave the front of the house. I gotta go around into the alley, you know, walk a quarter mile to where my and, and get the dog right. Well, you're in peak physical form, so that's not a problem for you. Though. That's true. So. That is true. I I should just leap the fence. Like, <laughs> right. I'm surprised you don't. Yeah, just show off your vertical. So I'm like, I got. Right. I'm like, all right, I gotta get something to eat anyway, and I got 20 minutes before the show, so I'm gonna hop in the car, grab the dog, pull through a drive-through, come back do a little voices of wrestling, right? So I get in the car, I go over, pick up the dog, I walk, and she's not in the alley anymore. I'm like, where the, where the fuck is the dog? And this is bad, because there's other people on the block with dogs. If she gets into another yard with, like, a Rottweiler, it means she's, she's done, yeah. She's dead. I mean, because she's a little wise-ass. She's going to... Does she try to she tries to fight, too? Yeah, they're going to rip her okay. apart. She's a chihuahua. They're all jerk-offs. Yeah, exactly. They're so, all jerk-asses. So, yeah. so I'm like, where do, oh, my God, where's my dog? So... Luckily, I come out of the alley and I see this little kid like carrying her like a football. Like running down. <laughs> this kid thought he had a free dog, so I'm like, "Oh, hold on, that's my dog, right?" <laughs> to prove it, yeah, <laughs> that's what happened. Right. She had no collar on, right? Because I I don't put the collar on unless I'm taking him out for a walk or going to the dog park. Oh, see, I always keep the collar on for that exact reason. But now yeah. I should because she's getting out of the yard, you know. And uh, so so he's like, "How do I know this is your dog? This little shit." couldn't have been any older than eight years old and he's questioning me whether it's my dog 
I'm like, look, punk, that's my dog. And he's like, yeah, I don't know that this is your dog. This is my dog now. I found this dog. I'm sitting here <laughs> he's over got you there. He's got you there. I don't know. I think he's got you. You know how I proved it to him? I had to take my phone out of my pocket and show him pictures of the dog on my phone. <laughs> and that's how he that, – then he believed me that it was my dog. Is it chipped? Do you have a chip in that dog? Oh, see, okay. I was going to say you can take it to the vet and scan the chip. Then you'll be like, there you go. But uh, you're lucky this kid wasn't a little bit more of a hard ass. He was a hard ass. I don't know who he thought he was. His friends were egging him on. They're laughing at me. So I'm a grown man in the middle of the street. My car's in the middle of the street. I'm arguing with the eight-year-old. You know, my dog, my, the dog's not helping because it's not like she's like, she seems like she wants to go with him. You know, she seems very comfortable. in this. Yeah, she escaped your yard. Now she's with him. I don't know. So I'm like, give me back my dog. Did you consider just letting her go? You know, I didn't, but I'm, lo- I'm looking at her. Next time, you little shit, I'm going to let you go live with the eight-year-old because you know what's going to happen? He's going to get tired of you. And- yeah, I'll be bored in two weeks. And then, you yeah, know, and get the be- attention you get around here, okay? And you're at rescue. You should know better. You're a street dog, okay? You should know better. Yeah, hide under the blanket. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it, that, it, that's why I was late because then, you know, I, I, then I had to go get something to eat. You know, I'm stuffing the, you know, shitty fast food down my throat. And I hear the Skype thing going crazy. So, you know, that, that was that, that's yeah. why I'm a little late because, you know, my dog fucking is an escape artist digging under the fence. Okay. I'm most of the time late because I'm doing stuff with dogs too. So uh, anytime that I tell you, hey, Joe, 7 o'clock and then I call you at like 7.30, it's, it's mostly dog related. So, it's probably the uh, same little punk who stole my garbage cans. You know? Although that was like three years ago. So. But I, if he's if, if he's willing to do this, I mean, next he's gonna be burning stuff. Like any future fires, I think you can pretty much assume it's this kid that Let did it. Let me tell right? you, this neighborhood is finished in about five years because every kid on this block is like the same age, and they're all gonna be teenagers at the same time, and it's gonna just be a disaster. There's gonna be, uh, you know, there's gonna be carnage on mischief night. Did you do the mischief night thing when you were? I don't think I ever did the Mischief Night. Is that a new thing? I don't even That's, know what the Mischief, mischief Night is. Mischief Night is the night before Halloween when you just go out with your friends and you destroy shit. Oh, we did that on Halloween. That's I thought that's what Halloween was for. No, Mischief Night's the night before Halloween. Oh, no, we, we were assholes during Halloween because we still, like, I was one of those guys that trick-or-treated even though he was, like, 18 just because I was an asshole. And then we would just, like, fuck shit up. And, yeah, so we, we did that actually on Halloween. I thought that was the day that was for Are but... you the teenager who comes to the door with no costume that I... No, no, I wear. I, we always put on some good costumes. Okay. I won't lie, we still did some pretty good stuff, and I think that's pre- pretty much like everybody'd be like, "You guys are old, but yeah, at least you tried." So they would give us some stuff because, hey, I'm, I'm going to get free candy as long as I can. You know me, I'm cheap. You know, absolutely. You got to get that free candy. Like, why would I not get free candy? I mean, yeah. still, I'd do it today if I could. See, where I grew up, they would not sell eggs to anybody under 21 for like a week <laughs> leading fair. up to the, uh, because it'd just be, you know. So what you'd have to do is like, if you were like 15 or 16, you had to find a friend with like an older brother. You know, and then pay him to go get you some eggs for the mischief night. But the thing was that backfired too, because what we would do is we would buy the eggs like a month month out and just hide them. So they eggs. were even worse. They were like rotten ass exactly. eggs. Exactly. Yeah, then so they're rotten that's, eggs, that's a- which is even worse to be scraping off the paneling on the side of your house or your car or whatever. Man, I was a horrible teenager. I mean, I, you're a horrible adult. So I mean, it's. it's, it's I'm sorry. It's like that was, it's, that was cruel. It's like. The things that we would do, like, uh, man, I'm sure people listening aren't immune to it either. But I, I look back and I'm like, man, what a piece of shit that I. Yeah, we like messed with churches a lot on like Halloween, and I, I don't know why churches. I did that. Like, 
yeah, we were really bad. Like we did stuff to churches and I was just like, that's, that seems wrong. <laughs> like, and I'm not a religious person, but it's still, it's a place of worship for somebody. You know what I mean? Like that, that, that's a dickhead. What are you that's, doing? Yeah, that, what that's a dick move. Messing yeah. With I really do feel bad about that. So, um, no, I, but I, I think talking... we've had this conversation before and, and I think we ha- we'll have time next week if we want to, but I'm sure some obnoxious stuff will happen. We don't have a whole lot this week, so we're going to uh, get into the show here in a little bit and we're going to do some questions and some other stuff. But, uh, we, I feel like we've had this discussion before, but Halloween candy, where do you stand? What do you like? You know, I, I feel like I, I I do think we talked about this, but just in case we haven't, what what are your go to? What is a what would a, a young Joey Lanza like to get in his Halloween? Look, I like I, or... I like a big time candy. I like a major league candy. Okay, when, like Baby Ruth, right? It's got to be like a, a brand candy. Okay. Brand name. I, I like a Milky Way or a, a Three Musketeer or Reese's. What I don't like is when you go to a door and you get like a like a like an off brand candy. I, I don't appreciate that at all. You know, candy is not expensive. You go to look. I don't mind a fun size. Okay, it's not expensive. A bag of fun size candy. What's it going to sure. run you? Three, four bucks. Okay. Why are you buying the off-brand candy for these kids and saving ninety-nine cents or whatever it is that you're saving? You know what I mean? So I never like the houses that had like the off-brand candy. That's not even putting in effort. I like a nice name-brand candy. And I told you, what I used to do here, I used to get the full-size bars when I first moved in here because I wanted to be the big shot on the block. You know, I know this is hard to believe, Rich, but I wanted to be the big shot house <laughs> right. in the pool. You wanted an outward appearance that you're uh, put together and you're you're, right. uh, you're hot shit. Yeah, you know, so I, you know, I, I you're dying. You're dying inside, but it's just a it's a cry for help more than anything. No ego, right. Joe. You know, so <laughs> right. I, I I would get the big full size camp. But here's the thing: these people keep pumping out kids. I can't afford it anymore. Yeah, that's got to be a lot. Yeah, especially if you said like half your blocks like teenagers. Then yeah, that, that's when I work. first moved into this neighborhood. It was like just our street, but it is like it, they've continued the development. There's like a million kids. It never stops. I mean, from three o'clock till eleven o'clock at night, I I got gangs of kids. Now I can't afford the full side bar. So you know, my showboating cost me because you know they all thought I was. I established myself as full size candy bar guy. Right, and I gained that reputation among. Oh, you kids. can't. Yeah, you can't go back then. But I, ha- I had to last yeah. year. I can't afford well, it anymore. Yeah. It's too much money. I, you know, it's like full size candy bars. Now you're now you're spending some money. So I'm sure they were surprised last year to get the fun size. This is why I'm saying I'm I'm a prime target for house egging. You know, because they're expecting these full size, and they're they're gonna get the the. the... Yeah, you might as well just give them carrots because it's gonna happen anyway. So you might as well save some money and just give them like carrots or something. This well, year, one so. year I ran out and uh, I had to start giving out like my own personal food. Like I had to start giving out granola bars, <laughs> pork chops. Here's a pork chop. <laughs> it was like granola bars and like packs of adult gum that isn't fun. You know, like <laughs> spearmint. Yeah, here you go. Like, oh, cool. Flavored extra. Like I'm giving that out. You know, kids don't want that. They want like you know bubble yum or whatever the fuck you know what i mean yeah we have we have a tough thing this year because uh michelle's working uh so she's got to sleep that that day because she obviously she works nights so uh, i'm not gonna be home because they, they tell kids to start at like 1 p.m now i don't know if they do that by you too but like they want everybody like the second it gets dark they want everybody away and they want to start things at like one and do all that sort of stuff well she's so we're wondering if we're gonna do the bowl gimmick i i'm, I'm worried I don't know if the bowl gimmick is going to work. Thankfully, I live in like a town that's like filled with churches. I think per capita, there's like the most churches anywhere uh, here. So I feel like we might be okay, but I'm nervous about the bowl, you know, take one bowl gimmick. I, I don't know if that's going to work out well. I don't care what your neighborhood you're in. That'll never work. I, mean, I feel like it's dangerous because she doesn't want to get woke up because every time that anybody rings the doorbell, the dogs are going to go absolutely fucking ape shit yeah. and she's going to get woken up. So she's not going to get any sleep and then she's got to work 12 hours or whatever after that. So we have like either we turn all the lights off and we just act like we're not home. Or we do the bowl game. Uh, here's what's gonna happen: someone's gonna steal all the candy out of the bowl, okay? And then because there's no more candy in the bowl, your house is gonna get egged and toilet papered. So you're just gonna have a bigger problem on your hands. 
We have big trees too in the front yard. They're perfect for uh, toilet paper. You're better <laughs> off just sucking it, and and your luck it'll rain. So you, okay, you're better off just sucking it up and answering the door. I I could never do that. Someone just tried to steal my dog. You think they're not going to steal you know handfuls <laughs> of candy? Out well, of see, the- she can't do that, and I'm not going to be home until you know I don't get home until six. So we got like five hours of like free time that I don't know what the hell's going to happen. We might have to just shut, shut the lights off and. The problem is we have like decorations all over the place, so they're gonna be like, "Well, these people like Halloween, don't they?" And like, nah, I don't know. Do you dress up the dogs. Um, yeah. Hans he enjoys it. The little dachshund he he enjoys wearing stuff. He's got a a lumberjack outfit this year that he's uh, uh pretty fond of. Uh, Louis is not a fan. He he likes to just kind of lay low. We we gave him a a Pikachu costume two years ago, and he just screamed until we took it off. So yeah, yeah. He wears a Santa costume. We've given him a Santa costume at Christmas, and he, for whatever reason, like, he won't wear anything. Like, if you put anything on him, he screams, he cries, he'll curl up into a ball until you take it off. We put that Santa costume on him, and he wore it for, like, two days straight and didn't care. So, I don't know. Maybe I'll, maybe we'll make him Santa every year for Halloween, but that's Louie for you. All right, let's get to these topics here now that we're done with uh, all the Halloween mischief. Um, we got a bunch of stuff to talk about. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Dragon Gate. They had a uh, big show a few weeks ago, a unit to span match that we want to talk about and a little bit about their young talent and Akira Tozawa and what's kind of going on with him. Uh, WWE Hell in the Cell, uh, it's coming up in another week, but we thought we'd kind of just touch on it a little bit, give our short little previews. Uh, for right now, we'll do a more extensive preview then uh, next week. Also, Wrestling is over Hall of Fame. I feel like we kind of have to do it this week because we keep pushing it back and keep pushing it back and Seems like now is the best time to do it. Uh, we sent in our ballots, uh, you and I both, I believe, uh, last week, so we can reveal who we voted for, uh, talk about the field a little bit, and talk a little bit about uh, the, the Observer Hall of Fame in general. Uh, and then we have questions, because we don't have a total ton of topics. Not a lot of stuff happened. New Japan doesn't have shows going on. WWE doesn't have shows going on. So we thought it would be a good question time, and I've been actually very surprised by the stuff that we've gotten, voicewrestling.com slash forums. Uh, they've been really good. Not that I didn't trust that people could send us good questions, but they've been like really good, really deep questions. So I do want to give a lot of time for that. So, Joe, where do you want to start, though? we got a few different things to start with. Uh, really any one of them is is fine to start out with. Anything that in particular you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I think I muted myself again because I went on a rant on that eight-year-old. I, I said he was going to get the old apple with the razor in it when I see him, the kid who tried to steal my dog. Jeez. But, you know, uh, does that really... To be fair, he just found a dog. I mean, you, you should have the collar on. That's that's honestly your fault. I'm going to go with... Um... You know what? It's a fair point. Oh. The collar's a pain in the ass, though. I don't know if you can hear this in the background, but my one dog is walking around. And, like, you can hear I, all day. Like, in my dreams, I just hear that fucking collar moving around and bouncing. My problem is I'm an adult. And when I say that's my dog, you need to listen to the adult. No respect, Rich. No respect from these punks. These kids, I tell you, Joe. And they're, they're not even millennials. They're, uh, what's the other one? Oh, they have a name for the We the, always the say, new... we always bring this up and forget what they call them. Um, the saviors Genre- or the... I don't think they're saving anything that generation. Uh, yeah, what are they? Founders. Um, the found- founders. Yes, the founders, right? Did they ever say why they called it that? Because that's a really stupid name. It's a really name. stupid name. I don't know what, what it means. They haven't done anything. <laughs> How can they be founders when they just started? Uh, we just assume they're going to found some things. They found my dog. Yeah, that's true. But it's the founders, right? Yeah, yeah it's the founders. That sounds about like right. Okay. People yeah. like Case Lowe's age and younger, right? <laughs> 13 years 13 and under 13 and under are, are the founders okay slow he got into columbia college by the way it's in chicago so he's gonna be sleeping in our spare room now there you go so that's Don't pretty cool yeah so I, I told the nurse that and she goes oh we're gonna finally have a child and i said yeah it's just like me if he was like 20 years younger like like he doesn't do anything he just like watches wrestling all day and sits in his room and plays games like it's perfect like we skip all that crap we yeah 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 case in the in the fall like next fall yeah, this fall. Yeah, I think that's when I'll plan my trip to Casa Crate. There you go. Oh, there you then go. It, then it'll be the, the nurse will love that. She'll have the young boy, 
sleeping in the guest room. She'll have Joe Lanza sleeping in the tub. It'll just she'll. Uh, we got a jacuzzi tub, plenty of room. I'll tell her to call the Italian broad. It'll be an absolute. Uh, well, nah, I don't know. If that, what happened to the Italian girl? Ah, uh, that's a long story. They're not I'll friends anymore. Uh, uh, yeah. How better to mend a friendship than to introduce them to Joe Lanza, one of the most eligible bachelors? That's true. It, you know what I mean? And it, or if anything, she would hate her even more, which would be good because it's on, it's one of these things where like there, there it's going to be this thing where like and it, I think it happens more with like because with dudes I feel like when you're just not friends with a guy you just kind of stop and it just kind of goes away. You know what I mean? Sure. Like it's a lot easier yeah, to yeah. go down. Whereas she's been friends with this girl for I mean God since they were like two or whatever. I mean pretty much for their entire lives. So it's like this weird thing where they're still kind of attached, but they don't really like it. But they they think they have to be friends because they've just always been. Friends. Are they? You, you know? Rich, are they frenemies? Um, right now it's, it's getting there. Yeah. A lot of passive aggressive things and all that sort of, so, so yeah, I don't just like all of wrestling Twitter. They're frenemies. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's got a, it's got a vibe of that. Yeah. It's, it, it, yeah. There's, I don't want to get into the details, but yeah, that's, well, I have to it's not over a boy or anything like that. It's, uh, no, there's, it's really not juicy at all, but it's, it's been long building. So it's, it's all tell you. Well, it's, been, it's been a, a long feud, a long built feud. So <laughs> wow, well built. It's, yeah. It's finally culminating here. We'll see. Cause uh, we're supposed to go to a party on uh, Saturday at her house and, and we're it's one of those things where she's like well do i go or not like michelle is honestly contemplating going or not and i'm like well you, you guys are just like you know you're, you're passive aggressively tweeting or not tweeting uh texting one another and, and are, like what are you gonna do why are you going to that like that's only gonna make things way worse because they're not gonna say anything you know what i mean like no one's gonna they're not gonna be like oh it's gonna be this weird like awkward passive aggressive stuff and that's listen just like, you gotta let it play but, out yeah. if you go to this party i will link you to my uh dating profiles so you can show the the uh well it See the reason that the fights. Well, I don't think she's very interested in you anymore. What did I? She, what do you mean? No, not you. It's what not I you. I, the current person I that she's. I haven't had a chance you know, to uh, turn her. No, on. well, she's she's pretty locked into this guy. So listen, it's never been a problem for me. You show yeah. her the profiles if you go to this party, and I listen. I I'll play mediator. We'll fix this problem with the nurse. Trust me. Okay. Well, we need you by uh, the twenty second. So that's Saturday. So anytime you want to. All right. Excellent. I don't know if you got anything going, so get that dog boarded up and <laughs> get over here. So. All right, what do you talk about first? We got to get to something. Here. Dragon Gate. Dragon Gate. Let's talk Dragon Gate. So we had the uh, units disband match that happened. Uh, what is that? The uh, was it the twelfth? I think ten twelve. I believe was it was the day of that. And uh, really interesting show. Uh, but the main event is what we kind of wanted to talk a little bit about, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the opener, too, because I think that, that related a little bit to the main event. But uh, the main event was uh, Monster Express versus Berserk. It was a five-versus-four loser revivals, captain's fall, elimination, unit disband match. And now, Joe, for people that just kind of chime in, I feel like we have to do this every time with Dragon Gate, just because I do know that there are people that are new to Dragon Gate or new listening to us. What is What would constitute a five-versus-four loser revival, captain fall, elimination, unit disband match? It's not nearly as confusing as it sounds. Right. Okay, so think of your standard elimination match, okay? But this one's five on four with the heels having the edge. But when a person... Now, the only way you can win the match is by pinning the opposing team captain, which in this case was Shingo and Akira Tozawa, right? But you can eliminate people by pinning them. But here's the thing. Here's the little extra rub. All that's very simple. The little extra rub is... If you do pin someone and eliminate them, that also means someone who has already been eliminated on your team can come back into the match. Right, because when you get eliminated, they just kind of hang out at the ramp waiting to come back yes. in. Yes. They don't go away. They can come back. Sure. So if Shingo pins uh, Sachi Hoko Boy, okay, Sachi Hoko Boy has to hit the bricks, okay? But then if Tozawa pins, uh, you know, someone on Shingo's team, that person is now out, 
and Sashihoko Boy can come back. So the dynamic changes every time there's a pinfall, but the only way the match ends is if one of the captains gets pinned. It really isn't as confusing as it sounds. This match always throws people for a loop. I don't know. It doesn't really confuse me. When you watch it in real time, it's not confusing at all. Like, I, I think initially, I think if it's the first time you've ever watched one of these, maybe the first two eliminations, you're not quite sure kind of what's going on or what's happening because you see a guy get eliminated and then come back in the ring or whatever. But I think once you see about three, you know, four or five of the eliminations, and you, and, and especially once you're done with the match, it all makes perfect sense in the world. And it's built up. It's not built. It, it, it's done in a way where it's obvious what the big thing is, is going to be. You know, the big captain's fall is going to be, that's going to really be the, the determining factor of it. And it's very rarely like in the first five minutes the captain just loses and they lose like it's it's, it's very well built up it's a match it's with a ton of emotion as well and this one in particular was uh, obviously with Akira Tozawa kind of winding up uh in Dragon Gate and him putting his Monster Express unit on the line versus Shingo's uh Berserk unit but what do you think of the match because obviously um people that didn't watch uh Shingo Takagi pinned uh Akira Tozawa with the pumping bomber at uh it was a little I think it was 37 uh minutes was the time only yeah 37 37 so it was a longish match but it, it went by very quick and and I really enjoyed it and I thought the emotion of it, and I think you tweeted this out um, when I think when you were watching the the actual match, and you said something to the effect of like New Japan, you, you go to New Japan for the matches, you go to WWE for the moments, and you go to Dragon Gate for the emotions. Was that correct? Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's nobody does the big moment like WWE, and no, nobody does the big match like New Japan. But when it comes to to emotion and big emotion, Dragon Gate has that lockdown. Nobody does emotion like Dragon Gate. They do it better than anybody. Um, and a lot of that's these guys are with each other all the time. I mean, this is the t- that roster is like you know safe for a few guys that are bouncing here and there, and that's why Akira Tozawa leaving is such a big deal because it's like that just doesn't happen. These guys are just always with each other. It's just always this you know constant unit of guys that are traveling around the country, working together, you know, literally working in the office together. Like, it, and 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 the fans have that connection to these roster guys too. So if you've never really seen Dragon Gate or you're kind of not really sure, that that's that connection that Dragon Gate has. And of course, our Open the Voice Gate podcast. Uh, if you ever want to get into more. Uh, Dragon Gate, we do have a podcast specific to them on the Voice of Wrestling Network, but it, it it's just it, the, the fans have that connection. The, 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 you can tell that there's genuine emotion anytime these guys are in the ring together, anytime these guys are fighting for something. There's always genuine stuff kind of going with it, and, and the fans buy into that too because these guys, they know that they're this close, and they know that this is just the close unit. And this was a match, again, where, where you know, it's Akira Tozawa winding down, as I mentioned, and Monster Express possibly you know going away or Berserk going away. And just like the emotion of those things, and, and, and especially with who is in Monster Express, and each one of those guys has their own little thing. For this purpose of this match, it was Yoshino, Akira Tozawa, Big Arch Shimizu, and uh, Sachi Okaboy, which is a very interesting dynamic too because you have Akira Tozawa who's obviously on the way out. Out. Big Arshimizu, kind of the young talent, big bruising guy. Sachioka Boy is kind of the underdog who always gets kind of picked on by Shingo and all those sort of guys. And everybody, there, there's definitely like he has different level emotion too. Like people love him because he's just an underdog and they just root for him a lot. And then Yoshino's kind of the I don't know what you would put Yoshino as. I, he's kind of in a, a weird spot now where he I, I don't know what would you define the current Yoshino as. I, I don't quite know where to. I mean, Yoshi, exactly Yoshino's Yoshino. He's just a respected veteran babyface guy. Who, that's yeah, that's probably the best. Who's way to put always it. Um, hovering around the top of the card. And um, really, they were down to four members. I mean, this unit used to be used to have you know Shingo and Yuha Nation and Ricochet. This was 
your favorite unit maybe ever in this company. Oh, I mean, when when that when I was in his prime, like that is legitimately like every single guy that I love. Like because they they initially I think it was in uh, 2013, August 2013 they formed, uh, and it was Uwa Nation and Shingo first off. So I like Akira Tozawa, Uwa Nation, and Shingo. I love all three of those dudes. And then they added Yoshino, who's you know among my favorites, Ricochet, and then Sashoka Boy. Like it was like a, a powerhouse. It was like Rich, who would you like to see in a unit? Tell us, and we will make that unit. That was that unit. I mean, it was just I, I and I always have a strong connection. To them because of that because it was just like that's it that's like if you told me you have five guys or whatever pick a unit how do you want to do it or six guys or whatever who would you pick that would probably be the unit that i would pick so it was perfect for me so through defections and guys turning heel they were down really to just these four guys and they're facing berserk which of course is led by shingo who's the number one heel in the company right now and really in my for my money the best heel in wrestling right now is shingo takagi I mean, oh yeah, I don't think it's even close right he's now. He's on the best yeah. run of his career. I think you nailed that a few months ago. You were ahead of the curve on that um, and everybody else, and he really is on the best run of his career. And he's the best heel in wrestling right now, and and he's leading his you know his band of, of fucking assholes of reserve, you know Naruki Doi and yeah and Scummy Yashi. He's and, so dirty. And yeah. Cyber Kong and and T Hawk who just turned heel. So it's five on four. And look, the entire world knows Monster Express is losing this match. Right. Because, I mean, Berserk is the big heel unit right now. They're just sort of getting their momentum going. They're not going anywhere. And Monster Express is in shambles. Uh, It's a shell of its former self. And Tazawa, everybody knows he's leaving. They're not even pretending he's not within the context of the storylines. So you have that coming into this. And, you know, and when I say Dragon Gate nails the emotion, it's really no, you know, you touched on some of the things, but it's really no. Uh, a big mystery how they achieve that. It's just such a well-booked promotion. They make sure everything matters. And when you do that, fans, it's, it's, it's crazy, Rich. Fans I know. Care or when you do that, when you make sure that everything matters and you make sure everything has a purpose and you establish um, um, uh, personal dynamics between all of the characters, not just with friends, but with enemies as well. And those things carry over. Sometimes guys end up in units with each other and the grudges that they had previously carry over even though they're teammates. Dragon Gate doesn't forget about anything. So as a viewer, of course you get wrapped up in it. Of course you feel the emotion because they're not cheating you. They don't, they don't treat you like you're stupid, like some other companies do. They don't expect you to just forget about things that happened a year ago or two years ago or ten years ago. They reward you for remembering these things. And that's why you get so wrapped up in this stuff. And, and why everything feels so important because you know it's going to have lasting ripple effects. And one of the things, one of the big th- – this match had so much going on. It was one of those Dragon Gate matches which just has a million different things going on, especially if you're a longtime viewer to a promotion. Right out of the gate, Shingo tells Monster Express, I want Sachi Hoko Boy to be your captain. And Sachi Hoko <laughs> Boy, you know, he's up for it. He's like, fuck yeah, I'll be a, you know, he, because he's got this ongoing feud with Shingo where Shingo just bullies the shit out of him. And Tazawa was like, no, 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 that's a really bad decision. You cannot be the <laughs> captain. I should be the captain in this match. And then throughout the match, Shingo is just beating the shit out of this guy like he always does. I think he eliminated him two or three times. He definitely eliminated him for the first elimination of the match. And they have this ongoing thing where Shingo just has such disdain. For boy, I mean, he just hates the guy. 
and this goes on for a while. I mean, this goes back to even when they were were buddies, and he would even kind of egg him on and egg him on and egg him on. And that's what you're kind of talking about a little bit. He would always kind of jokingly say, ah, you know, Sad Choco Boy sucks. Ah, you suck. And then when he actually broke from that unit, he wouldn't stop just saying, that was the reason I broke. He sucks. He's awful. He's terrible. Like, that's what he does. I mean, he's just a big fucking bully. Like, and, well, you always see the Dragon Gate High School. I mean, this is Dragon Gate yeah. High School right here. Shingo Shingo's the, the jock. With and... the Letterman jacket. Right. And Sad Choco Boy's not, he's kind of a nerd. He's not that good. He's just kind of along for the ride and everybody kind of likes him or whatever. But this jock just picks him out and, and beats on him and beats on him like an asshole all the time. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, leave him alone. He sees him in the hall. He body checks him into the lock. Yeah, for no reason. Like, Sad Choco Boy's like, hey, okay. Like, he kind of tries to avoid him and put his head down. He just still, yeah, he gets body checked him in the lockers. It's like, what are you doing? Why? Well, see, like, Boy will stand up to Shingo, but he just gets his ass. He's, he's, can't, he's not yeah. good enough. He's just not good enough. And, uh, that, you know, hopefully they're building up to something at some point where they'll, where they'll have, you know, a singles match or something and, and, and this will culminate. And knowing this company, I'm sure it'll, it'll build to a head or it'll just go on forever, which is great, too. Uh, but you had that going on. And then there was that great spot. I know it got gifted and got sent around Twitter a bunch of times. But there was a great spot late in the match where Tazawa is just on his last legs and, and Shingo's coming off the ropes for a big clothesline to finish him off. And Yoshino sacrifices himself and dives in front of Tazawa and just puts his arms out and sacrifices his own body and takes the clothesline. I mean, you just don't get spots like that in other promotions. And when you do, they don't mean as much, Rich, because if you had a match like this in WWE, okay, and, you know, like we're going to get at Survivor Series, we're going to get Raw versus SmackDown matches at Survivor Series, right? And it's going to be a similar dynamic. You know, if Dolph Ziggler gave up his body for random SmackDown wrestler number five. Yeah, Randy Orton for right. Randy Orton. Yeah. It's like, okay, it's a kind of a cool little deal, but there's no emotion behind it. They've got, you know, we know that Yoshino and Tozawa are, they, these guys have been buds forever. This unit has, was built, this, the whole theme of the Monster Express unit was friendship, and they built that over three years. So when Yoshino does something like that, it has the same emotional effect on you as a viewer as if you're wrapped up in whatever television show that you're wrapped up in or whatever movie that you're super invested in. It's sort of the same thing. And that's why when I talked about this match on our forums, when they do these unit disband matches with all of these different layers of emotion and all of these side stories that are going on, it feels like the series finale of a, of, of a, of a good TV show. You know what I mean? Because it yeah, absolutely. It ends one story arc, and then another story arc begins. And I think that's a really good point as well. Is that and that's why I love these matches, especially is because in other companies, again, like you said, like a WWE, if they're doing oh, Dolph will be fired after this match if he doesn't win or whatever, and then he loses and he's back into it. Like you know though that when this unit just no unit ever just goes yeah fuck you we're just gonna stay together like it's over like those guys go okay all right we're done like and you always get a, you always follow up they always follow up with it and it's always super interesting because now there's this dynamic of okay now there's these free agents where do they go what do they do what kind of new unit do they have you always get a payoff with this match regardless of who wins or who loses you always get a payoff and it, it's as you said i think it's perfect that it kind of ends one season of dragon gate and begins another because now units are kind of all over the place like these guys can go places the different dynamics can happen you know uh big r shimizu can join some uh, unit and completely turn it on its head or he can start his own unit or you know what i mean like you just have this ability to just it, it, it opens up a ton of different uh, scenarios and, and and but again they make you invest in that and build that because Monster Express has been around for three years or over three years now at this point 
and that's that they it's not like these units just kind of come and go you know by the week or by the month or whatever these units are are built for a long time so when they do disband and when it's over for that unit and they retire the logo and they retire the colors it's a big deal because i mean that that it, it, it like you said the arc is done then it is a and it doesn't come back that arc is gone it's it's done and then you know and 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 there's a payoff and we know that the and like you said there we know that there's going to be follow through on the payoff so again it's just Guys, this isn't rocket science. This is how you get people emotionally invested in a product. And when you've been watching Dragon Gate for three, five, ten, or following Turiumon promotions for fifteen years or whatever, you, you know, you get more and more emotionally invested in it. You know, it's when it comes to Dragon Gate, and people ask us all the time, you know, where do we start? What's a good jump point? The answer is always the same. You just have to start watching. You're going to be lost in the beginning. Eventually, if you stick with it. You're going to get wrapped up in it the same way that everybody else gets wrapped up in it. Dragon Gate has some of the most passionate fans around, and this is why. This is why. Because it's, it's, the, the emotion is second to none. They really suck you in. And then after Tazawa loses to Shingo, which, I mean, Tazawa's been doing a lot of jobs now on the way out of the territory, which is the right And this to do was things. like, Shingo was assaulting this man at the end of this yes. match. I mean, he, I think he hit, he hit two pumping bond, or, or no, he hit the, what was it, the last falconry or something? He, he was just, he was pounding. I mean, he hit like three moves on him, and it, like, you didn't need to do anything. Like, Tazawa kept kicking out, kept kicking out, kept kicking out, until he just hit him with the damn lariat and just said, stop, like, you're done. And, like, and that's another, and that's another yeah. thing, too. You know, Shingo just totally destroyed this man, broke up his unit, and effectively is sending him packing from the company, right? It was basically the, the, the message yeah, he yeah. sent here. And that's another thing. In a lot of other promotions, he wouldn't have got that strong a win. Even though the guy was leaving and all that, it, it still would have came down to some bullshit or some interference or some other nonsense. But it's like, and this is something we talk about all the time too, it's okay for a heel to just completely dominate and get the better of a baby face in order to build the heel. And this is a perfect scenario to do that because Tazawa was gone. So this is, you know, the old school thinking, you know, jobbing out of the territory. It's perfect, perfect booking. And then after the match, which I don't know about you, Rich, Dragon Gate always manages to, to, to this is why Dragon Gate is so hard to predict, you know? It's like, after the match, you know, jerk-off Doi is cutting one of his jerk-off promos and talking all kinds of shit. And then out of nowhere, I did not see this coming. T-Hawk just obliterates him, and they turn on I did. Yeah, I, I tried to stay spoiler-free here, too, and I, I heard some rumblings that somebody turned on somebody, but I kind of I was able to stay out of it. I did not think in, in a million years it would be somebody turning on Doi. Yeah, I mean, wh- I did not see that coming at all. And, uh, and then Shingo talks some shit to him, and, uh, and they just left him laying. They left Doi laying there. With uh, with Tazawa doing it. Here's here here's here's from High Art DG because I think we have to say this because this is again we, we talk about this all the time about Shingo being the best heel in wrestling. Listen to this and you'll see why we say that. So anyway, um, uh, as you said, he began to talk about the 11-3 main event. This is Doi and Doi darts, but Tiaw came from behind and gave him the um uh, the night ride and the I God the Urig I don't know what the hell the, the how to whatever. The goal of dismantling Monster Express was achieved. Doi was lo- no longer needed. He can go back to the back of the line. He was out of reserve. So then Shingo grabs the mic and says because of his stupid ass toy Doi darts takagi had to be part of this bullshit match in osaka he wasn't needed in berserk anymore he wasn't needed as a wrestler either and everybody knows it this is the real berserk and the real war was starting i mean what an asshole yeah, <laughs> you know what i, I mean you like, know he's you know doi's all excited talking about doi darts coming up and 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 being a dick like doi always is and then they just fucking kick him out of the group and and it's unclear what's going to happen with doi now um you know obviously the immediate speculation with monster express being broken up Doi being kicked out of his unit, 
it's pretty convenient that Yoshino and Doi uh, don't have any allies right now, and they could easily reform their tag team for the 9,000th time, which will inevitably lead to Doi <laughs> <Being a dickhead. laughs> turning Yoshino into Sting again and, and, and turning on him for the 9,000th time. So I don't know if they're going to go in that direction. Um, I have mixed feelings on that. I think Speed Muscle is one of the best tag teams of this uh, of, of since the turn of the century. Um, I'm on record saying that. I, they, they were just a, a they're a legendary tag team in Dragon Gate and one of the best teams uh, since the year 2000 in all of wrestling. So from that perspective, I wouldn't mind seeing them get back together. The problem with that is we all know what it leads to. We've seen Doi turn on <laughs> Yoshino a million times. And not only that, I just love Doi as a heel. And he's such a much better heel because then he cut a promo after this and he didn't have that like gargly voice. And I was like, oh, I already don't like you as much. Like, And I'm not sick of him as a heel yet. I mean, there's no, no, he's so good because he just looks like a wormy little like he looks like a little mouse. Like, yeah, he just looks like an asshole style. He's he's an ass. So it's like, um, you know, it, it's and, and I'm not tired. Like sometimes in Dragon Gate, you get tired of a guy being a face or being a heel. And they usually have a good feel for that. And they know when to do the turns. Um, I, I wasn't tired of him being a heel. And we don't know what direction he's going to go. So at least uh, on nothing I've seen yet, they, they haven't really decided what's going on. Uh, probably the next Corkin or whatever, they'll sort all that out. Because I think Tazawa still has a farewell show in front. He does, yeah. I, I don't know the date in front of me. I can I can try to look that up, but yeah, he's he's got another show coming up. Um, I yeah, I'll have to figure out what what day it was exactly, but so anyway, yeah, he does have one coming up. You know, Monster Express, they gave their goodbyes. They did the one last, the two easy pose. You know, with the Yuhan Nation, the you know one arm is flexed, the other arm is pointing to the sky. Again, emotional stuff. These guys had tears in their eyes. Yeah, one part uh, I know there was a really part that 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 you know I don't know any, I obviously don't know Japanese, but I'm reading the translations, and you you don't even need honestly the translation. You can kind of get what's going on. But Tazawa grabs the mic and he kind of laughs and starts crying at the same time. And and reading the translation is he was he was apologizing to Sachioka boy for talking him down earlier for saying no, I should be the captain, not you or whatever. And he said, you know, I love you. You know, it, it's just saying like, hey, look, you know, I I I just didn't want you to be in that position. I I should be in that position. This is my unit. I'm leaving. You know, I should I should defend our right, not you. You don't have to get involved in this. Like, and, and which is cool. Again, like it's Zawa kind of standing up for the 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 guy getting bullied and saying, no, you know what, no, he's not as good. Let me do it or whatever. But then still telling him, you know, no, I still respect you and I still love you. And like the both those dudes are crying. And again, like how do you not like get emotional when you see that? Because it's real emotion too. You know, those bo- those guys are friends. They're they're buddies. You know that 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 and the, the crowd's tearing up too because it's just like they hook you that way. And you know that the, there's there's reality in everything that they do. Yeah, it's all in this overarching story that might not you know this little kind of high school you know mini high school thing going on or whatever. But you know deep down that these guys really do feel for one another. And so when they do cut those promos, when they do say things like "I love you" and "Oh my God," you know I, I I'm apologizing and all that, so you know that there's there, there's some genuine you know reality to that too. And it really it really helps it out a lot. Yeah, I mean, and if you don't think so, go back and watch the Yuha Nation graduation ceremony from last year or whatever. Well, that's just some of the most amazing wrestling television I've ever seen. You know, it's just... Uh, Can you imagine what the Secure Tozawa one's going to be like? Because that dude cries, like, like anybody who leaves, like, any person that left. You know, shit, Peter Costa could leave tomorrow, and Tozawa would be crying. Can you imagine what he's going to do when he's the one that has to leave and everyone else is crying around he's gonna him? He's going to be something else, man. He's going to be a wreck. Like, he was a wreck on that one, uh, the the uh, the, uh, the big paper. I'm, I'm blanking yeah, on the name of it now. Yeah, lost to Yamato. Yeah, what, what was the name and, of that event? Uh, I'm, I don't know why I asked you. you probably like, I ever know the name of an event? Yeah, you're more forgetful than me, so forget it. But yeah, like, and he still had, like, you know, weeks to go, and he's crying, because it's, like, his last bit. Like, he's just a big crier. Like, it's going to be, I, 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 I don't even know if I can handle it. It's going to be too much. I just, I, I want to get another I am Don Fuji goodbye. 
that's all. <laughs> right? that's, I want another one of those. It's like, look, they're not all pals, okay? Clearly, Don Fuji had 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 no emotional connection to Yuhan Nation, because that was his entire closing statement to the man. I am Don Fuji. Goodbye. He, those were exactly. That was just fantastic. One of the best moments in Dragon. Oh, I bet he gave him like a dad hug in the back, though. I bet. I don't know. Don, it seemed- oh, Don Fuji just doesn't want to show his emotions. Yeah, it I seemed like he didn't really give a shit. I mean, they can't all be friends. Uh, <laughs> that's possible. Yeah. That's, but, that's- you know, <laughs> I hope we get that again. That was just such a classic line. But uh, yeah, th- this match ruled. Uh, look, is it a match of the year contender? No, but it's not about that. You know, it's it's hard. It's kind of hard to explain. It's it's. Yeah, technically, it's not going to be like a, a really. I mean, I, I still enjoyed it, but yeah, it's not like a technical masterpiece. You're not going to be on the edge of your seat, you know, wondering what move they're going to do next or what move is coming or the sequence here and there. But it's all about the emotion. It's all about guys getting eliminated. It's all about just listening to the crowd and how they react to each person getting eliminated and kind of doing the numbers in your head. And and especially this one, it was like a slow dismantling of Monster Express. That that's what was really cool. It's like one by one they kept getting eliminated until like. Berserk just had the had the you know had the numbers and probably could have eliminated Tazawa early if they wanted to, but we're just beating him up, you know, tag team, you know, really just like again being bullies. They had him in the corner and they're just all kicking him because they're just dickheads. Like they could have just done something and eliminated him, but Shingo didn't want to do that. He really wanted to embarrass Tazawa, and that's that's cool. That that's another little element that you get. I kind of worried about Shingo a little after he lost the title, but I don't anymore. I mean, he's as strong as a heel as ever, uh, you know, and he doesn't even need to be champion. And this match, I think, really got Berserk over to the next level, too, as just a band of fucking goons. And uh, I think it accomplished everything it set out to accomplish this match. If you're a big-time Dragon Gate fan, there's no way you cannot cannot skip this match. You have to find a way to watch this match. I don't know if this is the kind of match that will land if if you don't follow Dragon Gate, though. It's one of those matches. I say the same Mm -hmm. thing about the big cage matches all the time. This is one of those, too, because there's a lot going on that enhanced it for me and enhanced it for you that may not, you know, people who, who, you know, a lot of the Shingo boy stuff might just fly under the radar for people if they don't know the backstory. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and any, you know, all pro wrestling requires a bit of backstory, but it's nothing like Dragon Gate. You know, you're going to miss a lot of little details in a match like this. And you're also not going to feel the same emotion that a big fan is going to feel because what emotional attachment are you going to have to Monster Express if you're just parachuting in for this match? You haven't been with them all the way for three years. Uh, you don't know that Shingo... Um, you, you know, betrayed them and, and, and turned on Monster Express at some point. None of that stuff is going to be, you're not going to be cognizant of any of that when you're watching the match. So it's not, you know, I, it, it's certain, you know, w- with me and Rich giving you all of that backstory, I would say, yeah, go ahead and devote 35 minutes to this thing, or actually more than that. With entrances and all the post match, you're looking at almost an hour. Uh, that's the other thing, you know, these big Dragon Gate, you know, st- especially these story intensive matches. I mean, yeah. You know, you're not sitting down for 10 minutes either, Rich. I mean, you know, you got to devote an hour of your life to this. Right, and you have to watch the post-match, too. You have no idea what they're saying, but you still have to watch it. It's required viewing with Dragon Gate. Yeah. So you you can't just, like, other promotions, I'll kind of click out because, you know, the guys in the ring, he wins or whatever. Everybody kind of, like, huddles over him, and they, they just... But you cannot do that with Dragon Gate. you got to watch the last part. Yeah, and it, you have it, to watch it, the you log in your little iHeartDG.com, and you follow along, you know, with the translation, and away you go. But, yeah, a match that... um like I said, it's not any kind of match of the year contender. You're not going to marvel at the at the at the work, uh, but or anything like that. But it's it's in terms of a match telling a bunch of you know one mainline story and then a bunch of sub stories underneath. I mean, man, it just it, it this is peak. This is one of those matches where it's like peak Dragon Gate, man. It's just great, great stuff. 
Um, and then one of the other matches we want to talk about, and it actually got me thinking when I was watching this final match, and, and obviously I'm a huge Akira Tozawa fan, and it sucks to see him leaving Dragon Gate, but uh, part of me also looks, and yes, those are fireworks. I have no idea who's, I don't know, could you hear those? Somebody's been launching fireworks every night around here. Bizarre. And I don't know why. Fire. Like, there's no reason. I, maybe it's Cubs related. I don't even know. Did the Cubs just do something? No. No, okay, so th- that's what I thought, because I'm, like, watching the game, and I hear these things. I'm like, what did they do? I thought if it was, like, a Cubs home run, and they were, like, thinking they were cute or what? I-, I have no idea what they're doing. Anyway, sorry. So if you hear that for a little bit, that's what that is. I, I really didn't expect an October 30 fireworks, but here we are. But, um, was it- oh, so you have a character who's obviously living Dragon Gate, and I'm a huge fan of his, and-, and-, and it sucks to see him go. But a part of me, especially watching these first two matches on this card, and you told me to be sure to watch that first match, uh, which is Shima Gamma, Dragon Kid versus uh, Futanakamura, Shun Wata- uh, Watanabe, and Huyo uh, Watanabe, so the two Watanabes and, and, and Nakamura. You told me to watch that to make sure to, to, to do that. And then I watched the second match as well, which had Yusuke Santamaria, uh, KZ, and then it had uh, Yamamura and Ishida, who are, are uh, two other young dudes. And you can add uh, Yusuke Santamaria to that too, who's you know, obviously still super young as well. And I was thinking, okay, you know, it sucks that Akira Tozawa is leaving, but it might even be a d- blessing in disguise because sometimes with with Dragon Gate, you get these guys and they just they're around forever, which is good. That that's a, a nice benefit is that you have Yoshino who's had you know a decade of career and Doi, and you have all this background or whatever. But they're just exploding with young talent, and it's actually you know it sucks that it has to be a Kiritazawa that goes, but I don't know who else I would really pick. But now they have uh, more openings for guys to kind of move up because they are just brimming with good young talent. This company, am I right or wrong? When I, it's insane. It's, it's in the, El Lindemann. I didn't even mention El Lindemann. He was dug in the middle of the car. That guy's, what, 25? Like, Lindemann, and then you forget about Aita, who's still a Yeah, kid. oh, yeah, yeah. Aita, T-Hawk, who was in the main event there. UT, Obviously, big UT, spot in the main event. They've down, well. downgraded a bit because you didn't really connect, but UT still has some potential. And they just keep pumping them out. And the thing about it is, they're all all of these guys. They, they all can they all can work, man. I mean, it, it's it's just you know, and that's been the Dragon Gate calling card. It's where they've had the deepest and the best roster probably over the last decade in pro wrestling. Um, they're all just so good, and there's only a few guys you can point to that I wouldn't call excellent workers. You know, maybe Cyber Kong, maybe Punch Tamanaga. Um, and then from there, I struggle. I mean, who else on isn't an excellent worker on this roster? Um, you know, and, and yeah, the young kids, Yamamura and Ashida, uh, they've got a little ex- bit of experience over some of the ones we're going to talk about. They're already in the over-generation faction with Shima. They're doing some good things. The two new Watanabe kids, Shun Watanabe and Hyo Watanabe, it's a little early to break them down. They're still wearing their black compression shorts. They're still basically just taking beatings, and I'll get to that in a second. Lindemann, who has just turned heel. Lindemann is a fucking monster. Uh, I love that short period where where they did the breakup angle with Yasuke Santa Maria and Lindemann kind of went crazy, like someone who was going through back to the high school thing, like someone who yep. was going through their first breakup and wasn't emotionally ready to handle it. And he was just randomly German suplexing people. He was running into matches he wasn't involved in and giving people German suplexes. He's giving people German suplexes at merch, ta- at merch tables after the shows. From what I understand, he's just, he went crazy and then he went full blown heel. And this Lindemann, you know, he can't be more than five foot four inches tall, but he's a little tank and he's a beast. This guy is, is a one hell of a worker. And on this show, he, he debuted this rope now that he has around his neck. I mean, this guy's an absolute animal, but the one that I really want to focus on rich is this Futa Nakamura because Despite the fact that the rest of these Dragon Gate kids are such incredible workers, there is something special about this Futa Nakamura. He just 
has it. He has that extra something. He's got that charisma. I remember an interview with Conan. It had to be, it was with Wade Keller and it was probably in, I don't know, 1994, way back when AAA was first breaking big. And he described it as Wade Keller was talking about charisma and how do you pinpoint charisma and Conan's answer, because I think they were talking about Rey Mysterio Jr. and Psychosis and Juventud Guerrero, all the guys that were coming up at that time in AAA. And, uh, and Conan's answer was, he said something, I'm going to paraphrase. He said, you know, Wade, in Mexico, we call it having an angel. You don't, you can't pinpoint it. You don't know what it is. You can't teach it. Some guys just have an angel. And when I watched this Futa Nakamura, he, just, he has an angel. There's something about him. And let me tell you something, Rich. The company knows it. Because in this match and in a few other matches, they've already given him subtle moments that tell you that they know that this guy is just yeah. different from the rest. And the moment in this match, well, he had two actually. When he was going toe-to-toe with Gamma, and Gamma was slapping the shit out of him. Oh, yes, he was. Yeah. And, and, you know, Gamma's always goofing around, and we all know Gamma. He half-asses it. He's 45 years old or whatever it is. And, you know, he, he has his role, and that's fine. This was not half-ass Nick goofing around Gamma. He was stiffing the shit out of this kid, and the kid was giving it back. That was test number one. The second moment in this match, and this was the bigger one, they allowed this kid, black compression shorts, no, you know, no, not allowed that personality yet, still in the earliest stages of his development, okay, they allowed him to go nose-to-nose with Shima and have that moment with the icon of the company where he stood up to Shima. And let me tell you something. That was not an accident. They are no, planting seeds with this guy. Absolutely. And you can uh, – to your point, though, and, and it's, it, it's impossible for us to describe, and I feel bad that there's not a really good way to describe what makes him good. You really just have to watch because I, I remember it, it was a few weeks ago. I forgot what it was, maybe about a month or so ago, and I just watched some random Dragon Gate opener or whatever, and something hit me, and I went, oh, my God, that guy is so good. It was like – I don't know what he did. I forgot. I think he did like a drop kick or something like that, but it's just like these little things that happen, and just like you said, and like Conan said, you, it just – your eyes light up, and you go, oh, my God. There's something, there's a smoothness to it, there's a demeanor, there, there's just something. And like you can't really pinpoint it, and you can't really describe it, so I do feel bad that we can't do that. But I think you just have to watch it, and it might not come to you in the first time you see it, but something will happen where you see that he's just got something different than any of those other guys and any of the other young guys, than a lot of other guys on the roster. It's just something clicks, and you'll see it, and when you see it, you'll know it, and then you'll know why the company knows it as well. It's just, it, it, I, I think you described it perfectly. I think Conan described it perfectly as well. It, it's impossible almost to describe. It's just, you'll, you'll see it. It's like Higuchi, we talked about a few weeks ago. You don't have, you, you see Higuchi for 10 minutes, and you go, yeah, okay. Like, Same thing. You see you his know, entrance. Yes. You see his entrance. He walks down the ring, and you go, "Yeah, okay, there you go." There's just something about it, and it's I, I don't. It's not a chiseled jaw, you know. I, you know, I, I'm. We can't describe what makes Higuchi that great just from his entrance or whatever. But goddamn it, you watch him walk down the ring with his little cape, and you go, "Yeah, that guy's great, and he's gonna be awesome." Like it's just it just happens. Here's here's the test for anyone listening. If you're not a Dragon Gate fan or you're not familiar with this guy, this is the perfect match to test out what me and Rich are saying because you don't know who he is. He's 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 in a six man match with two other guys and they all essentially they all have different body types and whatnot, but they all they're all the same. They're all wearing black compression shorts and are just basic bare bones rookies. You won't know which is which, but I dare you to watch this match and within the first five minutes not be able to immediately identify the guy we're talking about. And that'll be the proof that he has something a little extra. That little extra bit of charisma that that. And the com- I think the company knows that this guy's the future of the company. 
I mean, I think they know it because they don't give guys moments like they give him. I think they recognize it already. I mean, it's obvious when you watch the dude. I mean, he already looks like a million bucks. He just, and he has that unquantifiable thing that just helps him stand out from the pack. And, I, you know, it's not even about his, I don't even necessarily think his work is any better than these other kids. He's at the same stage of development. He just has that extra bit of charisma that some people are just fucking born with and that you cannot teach. And that, you know, you, and that, in very rare cases, can you develop it? I've seen got people go from not being charismatic to then being insanely charismatic over time, but it's rare. And in yeah. most cases, you either have it or you don't. And then at that point, it's a matter of whether you can exploit it and whether you love this enough to, to, to make something of it. Now, it doesn't mean he's an absolute lock to be the next big thing in Japan. But what I'm saying is he clearly stands out from the pack. And, and if, if, He's got the right head on his shoulders, and if they handle him properly, I mean, you could ruin a guy like that with booking. I mean, we've seen sure. that. Oh yeah, you know. But I, I trust this company a lot. I, I mean, I trust this company more than maybe any other company in terms of them recognizing when they have someone special and then doing the right things to get them there, because this company is so well booked. But this match, Rich, uh, j- just as a wrestling match. And the story, of course, Shima, Gamma, and Dragon Kid, the three veterans, basically just beating the living shit out of these three rookies was the story of this match. Loudly, too. They were, like, slapping them as hard as possible. Even Dragon Kid was kind of being a dickhead. Yes, which, I mean, geez, Dragon Kid's being a dick. Unfortunately, he had to do it, like, as he was, like, breakdancing, he was kicking them or whatever. But still, you know, hey, that, that'll work. Like, and, and, I think he need him. I think he did, like, a breakdance and then need somebody in the face. I forgot who he did, but uh, that's, I thought, the, the most dickish that Dragon could possibly get. So, And I think the rookie's getting just enough, including, that you know, like I said, that great sequence with Gamma and Futa. And then later, Futa standing up to Shima. But, Rich, I don't know about you. I thought as an entire package, this match with the story they were telling and yeah, went down. Yeah. I almost thought this was almost a four-star match. I thought it was that good. I mean, and it was 13 minutes, too. So it's not even like that these guys just beat him down for six minutes and then Shima just, you know, put a finger on him and then pinned him and then, you know, posed afterwards. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like a, a squash. I mean, yeah, they were beating the hell out of him, but they really couldn't put him away or they didn't really want to put him away and they wanted to kind of show those guys what they were sort of capable of. Yeah, because when it was all said and done, it went 13 minutes and it was legit. Yeah, like you're saying, I, I, I'd have to kind of rewatch it before I kind of give a rating on it. But yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I, I don't think you're nuts for saying four-star. Like, because it, it, it wasn't just a five-minute squash. It, it was 13. It was a legit match it was 13 minutes and it, so and it definitely i mean for a squash match it told one hell of a story because i'll tell you I, you know we talk about it all the time you can get over by losing i mean i could point to a million examples where a guy was more over than he was to begin with when he lost a match this was an example of a guy being getting over getting over while getting squashed i thought futa nakamura came out of this uh bet in a better position than he than he than he went into it and he got squashed you know how hard that is to do? I mean, but they, they found a way to get this guy over and make him look special while being squashed in the match and taking the fall. He took the fall. <laughs> right. it's, they didn't even protect him from the fall. But you know what? I thought that was important. I thought it would have been a bullshit cop-out if he didn't take the fall in this match because he stood nose-to-nose with Shima, and he shouldn't get away with that. You know what no, I mean? No, Shima should destroy him for that. Right. Yeah. So it's like they easily could have beating Hyo Watanabe or whatever, but they didn't protect this guy, and it didn't matter because of the way the match was laid out and the way all this was put. He still got over by losing and being the guy to take the fall. I, I just, and then it, I can't say enough about this match. 
Yeah, and it was great. And then I think after the match, Shima tried to shake his hand, and he like fell to the ground, like his handshake was too hard or something like that. <laughs> was that? Oh yeah, yeah. That was Nakamura that he did too, right? Yeah, that was that was this match, correct? Mocked, I'm trying to. Yeah, they mocked. Like, yeah, they did the handshakes. Right. And like, oh, you're, you know, you're, you're, you know, and, and that's just the charm of Shima. You know, I mean, he's just, you know, the guy. You know, I know. Um, this is minutes before he grabbed like an infant and brought her in the ring too. Did you watch? The, did you yes. watch the beginning at all? <laughs> that girl was so young, and I was like, I am not giving. I, I love Shima, but I am not giving my like one year old to Shima. Like, they, I get I get weirded out when like the eight year olds are like, oh, go with the wrestlers, go in the ring or whatever. This this girl was like an infant, and they were like, ah, there you go, here you go, Shima. Just take they the do girl. the gimmick in the beginning of the show where they grab a kid out of the crowd, and then you know they do you know they bring him in the ring and they have some, and then the kid rings the bell right for the first match. And that's what Rich is talking about. But they have a knack for finding the cutest kid in the crowd. How do they do this that? This girl was adorable. This girl was the, maybe the most adorable they've ever brought. I love the boys they bring in, too, because they have, like, big shirt. Like, they're maybe wearing, like, a, a wrestler's T-shirt or whatever. It's a little too big, and they just look, like, so dumbfounded. And they're just, like, looking around with their, their thumb in their mouth. Like, who are these people? What am I doing here? Why is why did mom put me within this? But, yeah, they, they find a way to just find the cutest kids. Like, no, my, my no kid f- you've seen there you haven't said that. Wow, that kid they, they is They find the cutest so. kid every crowd. And, and I hate kids. I hate children. And, and like, my favorite <laughs> – and my favorite thing ever is like Shima will sometimes he'll ask the kid like who's your favorite wrestler and they'll be like Doi and all the baby <laughs> faces will be like it's just this is a great moment you know because you can't you can't script shit like that you know it's just it's great stuff uh, but yeah so that that was the opener which to me is an unskippable match it's crazy an opener with three young boys just basically getting squashed and you know I watched the whole show and to me it was the second best match on the show to the main event I mean I just I, I loved it. But uh, yeah, Dragon Gate, future very bright. This Futa Nakamura, I, I just, I, what, what can I, I can't say that, you know, I, I can't, there's nothing else I can say about the guy. I mean, I think he's as much of a lock as anybody right now, and, and he's so early in his development. It, it, to be able to spot it that early too, Rich, is something else too. It's, it's, it, you shouldn't be able to spot it that soon. Uh, you know, that's it, 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 very, there's this very small full, uh, handful of wrestlers historically who, how many matches is this guy? Has this guy had ten matches yet? I don't even know if he's had ten I matches. I think. Yet. Let me let me look it up to make sure. I, I don't know. I, I actually know. I don't think he has a cage match. Yeah, I'm gonna say. Really, he doesn't have a cage match yet. I know no, he was he in Summer Adventure Tag League, but here's the thing: didn't his team get hurt or injured, and then he missed a lot of those matches, or his yeah, matches I don't didn't remember. make tape, whatever it was? But he he might have twelve matches in his life. Maybe that. I don't even know if he's got that many. So to see it this soon is really saying something special. I'm gonna move on to uh, WWE here. Yeah. Let's talk Hell in a Cell a little bit. Of course, we're going to do a bigger preview uh, next week as we, we lead into the show. But uh, we want to talk a little bit about kind of what's going on in, in the card itself. And I think in particular, we'll start off with, you know, what has been rumored to maybe be the main event. But then rumored, oh, wait, no, no, we didn't say that. Stop. You know, don't don't go nuts yet. We haven't said that yet. But it's, it's Sasha Banks and Charlotte, uh, the uh, women's championship, the Raw Women's Championship. And they're doing it in a Hell in a Cell with these two. Uh, what are your thoughts, A, on doing it in a Hell in a Cell? Is it? Right, or you know, would you do it now, or would you kind of build it up a little bit more? Obviously, with the theme pay per view, you don't really have that luxury to do it. Do you think it's kind of being forced down the throats? I mean, they're talking about how revolutionary it is, and that's sort of the 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 advertisement for the match is that it's revolutionary and it's different. Uh, do you find that uneasy? Because there has been a lot of uh, discussion online where people are like, they're not really they they would rather it be organic that these two have reached a point where they need to do it in a hell in a cell versus it's a hell in a cell. Look how revolutionary we are by doing a hell in a cell with women. What, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I differ from a lot of people to where I don't think they're really forcing it. It's been a heated feud in my opinion. Because um, I think what you're referring to is the argument that it's not enough of a heated feud or there isn't enough of an issue between the two to warrant a cell match. Is that what you're but, getting at? 
Yeah, sort of, because I've, I've seen people say that, but my argument would be, have you watched any of the last, like, decade of Hell in a Cell matches? <laughs> like, pretty much, or at least the last, you know, five, six years, ever since they called a pay-per-view Hell in a Cell and said, oh, weird, the Hell in a Cell's coming up, I guess you and I are in a Hell in a Cell. Like, ever since that started, like, these have not been built up that way. So, I, to me, I don't... I don't necessarily have this like idea that a cage match has to be that, especially in this company now. I mean, yes, for a while a cage match had a purpose, and people still get mad. Oh, it used to be for Bruno to do this, and da 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 da. Yeah, okay, what? It's not the same company. It's different. So to me, I, I yes, it's not Undertaker, Shawn Michaels. It's not you know this stuff that absolutely needs to be in a Hell in a Cell. It just happens to be what the October pay per view is. So yeah, I don't have that same sort of. So your argument uh, anger is that others... your argument is. Cage matches aren't what they used to be anyway, so it doesn't bother me. It, it, it does, yeah, I mean, like, I, I can't be bothered by it anymore because they've proven over the last, you know, decade that they don't matter that much, that they're not what we want them to be. Yes, ideally, they don't have a theme pay-per-view that's called a Hell in a Cell. They don't force matches in a Hell in a Cell when they're not ready for them or whatever. They build it up perfect because they don't even build those up anymore. Like, for a while, they were doing that where it would make sure that it came to a head in October. Now it's just like Roman Reigns and Rusev's in a Hell in a Cell. Okay, whatever. Who cares? You know what I mean? Like, that, that they just do that now. So that, that I don't have the same anger. And it's not because I think that that it's right. It's just because it's been beaten out of me and why I, I just can't possibly care anymore because they've proven that that's not how they do it anymore. That's not how they book. They book a Hell in a Cell match because it's October and the pay-per-view is called Hell in a Cell. So. I agree with everything you're saying, but even from the other perspective, I think this is a heated issue anyway. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't feel like this is some thrown-together feud. I don't feel like this is some feud that's been going on just in this pay-per-view cycle or anything like that. These two have been feuding for, what, years now, right? I mean, really, the story goes back years. Um, so I, I don't, I, and since both of them have been on the main roster and everything else, I, look, I don't have a problem with it from that perspective. I don't even, you know, I think Roman Reigns and Rusev have a very heated issue going on. I mean, they, they had a hell of a, um, an angle that they shot on raw this past week. The problem with Roman Reigns and Rusev is it's, it's, it's nothing but heated. They've shot plenty of heated angles for that feud. Uh, it, it's more, you know, that, that feud needs to come to a head cause I'm actually starting to get tired of it. But um, so I don't think the problem is that the feuds for this Hell in a Cell aren't heated enough. I think the problem is they're having three fucking Hell in a Cell matches on one show. That's the problem here. If there's a gripe to be had, it's, you know, you're, you don't think it's special anymore simply because they do it so often. I think having three of them on one show is just utterly ridiculous. I mean, you're entering TNA lockdown territory. Where you where if every match is a hell in a cell match, then what the hell then then they're all the same then then what 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 makes them stand out? What makes them different? And the other thing is they're all gonna try to top each other. And uh, you know, somebody might end up dead by the end of the night. So that you know, that's that's the other angle on this. But um, no, I don't have a problem with the Sasha Banks Charlotte issue not being hot enough for a cell match. I disagree with that. Okay. Yeah. And um as far as those other ones, of course, you know, we have Kevin Owens and Roman Reigns, um, or Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins, rather, uh, for the Universal Championship. That's in a Hell in a Cell. Uh, Roman Reigns and Rusev, that's in a Hell in a right. Cell. So like you're saying, that, I mean, that's way too much. And I think they did that. I'm trying to find, I think the first, like, Hell in a Cell-specific pay-per-view, I think they had, like, three or four in it or whatever. And it's 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 boring. Like, you know, a Hell in a Cell is not that interesting. Like, on a, they, in wait itself, a minute, they're wait interesting they, matches. But like, Hold on a second. They've done this before with multiple matches in the Cell? Yes, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to find the exact the show three matches in a Cell? Yeah, let me find the first Hell in a Cell themed pay per view they had. I believe it maybe 2010. Oh, they did one in 2009. I have no me... recollection of that. Yeah, don't. It's pretty bad. Okay, let's see here. Da, 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 da. 
Uh, that one they oh okay this one they had three this is the uh, Hell in a Cell 2009 they had uh, Undertaker CM Punk which was opener uh, of the entire show uh, was that then they had uh, Randy Orton versus John Cena in a Hell in a Cell and then they had that DX versus uh, oh uh, Legacy Cody Rhodes and and DiBiase also in a Hell in a Cell all one show yep and I believe they did that back the next year so that's oh nine let me let me fire up 2010 here. Uh, and see how many Hell in a Cells here. Okay, they only had two Hell in a Cells in that one. It was just uh, Randy Orton and Sheamus, and then Kane versus The Undertaker. Which of those two was your favorite, Joe? You can only pick one. You can only pick one. I mean, so. this is what we're talking about. If you want to make something not special, I mean, this is what you do. You know, you should maybe have one of these matches every couple of years to really cap off a superheated feud if you really want to keep it special. So it looks like it was two from then on. So then there was uh, 2011, and that was Mark Henry versus Randy Orton in a Hell in a Cell, and then Del Rio versus Cena versus CM Punk, also in a Hell in a Cell. But the problem is, like, and I guess, you know, they'll probably still do it, but really now it's just kind of a match that happens to have a cage around it. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not like, yeah, of course, with The Undertaker and Shane uh, Shane McMahon at WrestleMania, I mean, that was obviously a spectacle, but I I just don't know if you're going to have a spectacle of that level for any of these matches, and and it's going to just look silly then otherwise, because it's just guys fighting, uh, or guys or girls, you know, fighting with a cage around the ring. You know, this is interesting you bring that up, because I I saw Sean Ross Sapp, Arguing with some of his followers. Who does he work for now? Let's plug his site. Where's he working? Uh, Fightful. Fightful. Right, so he's with Fightful. Sean Ross Sapp. I saw him argue. He's a Reds fan. Quality guy. I like him. So I saw him arguing with some of his followers, and uh, you know they and and what his people were getting on him about is they feel like Sasha Banks and Charlotte aren't good enough wrestlers to be in a Hell in a Cell, and they can't have the the kind of quality of match that you need for a Hell in a Cell. <laughs> I think they I think they need to go back and watch Hell in a Cell. That matches. was my like, point. I mean, I... Like, don't watch Undertaker and Shawn Michaels and go, oh, they can't do this. Yeah, no, maybe they probably can't, but I think they can do what, what did I say, Sheamus and Randy Orton did in 2009? I, I think you could probably do that. Like, not even that, Rich. I mean, I, I stuck my nose in the conversation, and, you know, because I sat there, and I, I was like, what are these people talking about? I don't think anybody has fond memories of any Hell in a Cell match. What you have memories of are Hell in a Cell moments or Hell in a Cell spots. What classic match has taken place in a Hell in a Cell? Uh, I would put two up there. I would definitely put the the Lesnar Undertaker one from uh, 2002. I forgot the pay-per-view. I think it was Vengeance or whatever. And then that original Michaels... Undertaker one, I think, are both very good. So matches, two but... out of about what fifteen or yeah, I mean that. Otherwise, it's just guys falling off, and then the it, fun of exactly. Mick Foley falling off, you... or Rikishi falling off, or that guy, you, you know, Rikishi, doing yeah, Mick Foley, Shane McMahon. It's it's spots that you remember. It's not necessary because that WrestleMania match fucking sucked. By the way, I know people don't remember that. That match was fucking awful. Well, we talked about it at the time. It was all it was about forty-five the... fucking minutes of nothing happening until Shane, Shane fell off. Fell off. So... There was nothing right. memorable at all in that match. It was just it, guys. It was them lurking around the ring, punching each other in the forehead. I mean, you know, it, it's uh, you know, it's it, it's it's spots that you remember. There's no reason that Sasha Banks and Charlotte can't have a match. What's funny about that too? What's funny about that too is who if 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 I said okay, Joe, I want two people that exude the most danger in their matches these days. You know, I might pick them. <laughs> you know, like we saw them have a match a few months ago where it was like just a normal match. These two are killing each other and doing insane stuff that we can't believe that they're even trying. Like of any two on the roster, like yeah, Roman Reigns and Rusev is going to probably suck in a hell in a cell. You know, you know, like and I, I like both of them to a level, but I just don't think that match is going to be anything. Now, I think see, it's just going to be a normal match that happens to be in a hell in a cell. I agree with you and disagree with you. What I agree with you on is, yeah, I think Banks and Charlotte. I think there's a. This is what, kind of what I spoke to earlier. I think there's enough vitriol there for them to have a, a very heated match inside of this cell. I don't doubt that at all. 
I also think that Roman Reigns and Rusev have enough of an issue now with each other, and I think that the build has been heated enough to where they can have themselves a very heated Hell in a Cell match. The Kevin Owens-Seth Rollins match, I have no interest in that. I don't know where you stand. I don't give a shit. Yeah, I, don't no, give a shit. I, really, I think it's yeah. going to be loaded with fucking typical Raw shenanigans. I think if you think those are going to be the only two guys inside of that cell, you're not. <laughs> okay, so I have no interest in that match whatsoever. I have no interest in that title. I have no interest in that match. I just don't care. If Is this show this Sunday or next Sunday? Uh, next Sunday. So we'll do one to ten next Sunday. Yeah, we'll do Spoiler one. Spoiler alert: That's getting a zero from me. I don't <laughs> care about that match at all. I just don't care. I don't care I about the outcome. I don't care about the people involved in it. I don't care about the story. I I give no shits about that match. The other two matches, I tell you what, I'm kind of into them because I I like what you just said about Sasha and Charlotte. There's an element of danger to their matches, whether it's whether it's in- intentional or otherwise, because sometimes <laughs> it's not. Because they're very ambitious with the things that they try. I respect both of them for being ambitious and wanting to prove something. Listen, nobody wants to be a great professional wrestler more than Sasha Banks wants to be a great professional wrestler. I really believe that. She wants it so bad. The problem with Sasha Banks is she's 90 pounds soaking wet. She's fragile. She's concussion prone. She's injury prone. And she just isn't built for the things that she wants to do. Her body cannot withstand what her mind wants to perform. And that isn't even her fault. And in a way I feel for her In a way I feel for her, she cannot pull off the things she wants to pull off. Yeah. A Rey Mysterio is a very good comp. I mean, there is that a guy who, who, again, like his body just completely, I mean, he, he was able to kind of reinvent himself and, and do a bunch of different stuff, but we saw, you know, in 97, 98, the guy was already breaking down. He was having multiple knee surgeries. He was just out forever. And you wondered, and I remember at the time the conversation being, all right, well, I mean, that might be it for this guy. By 1999, people were already kind of writing him off because he wasn't that good. He was starting to just kind of just be a guy. And it was like, all right, well, that's – and he was able, of course, to – you know, when he went to WWE, kind of reinvent himself and do a completely different uh, style. But, yeah, I, I remember those conversations in 99, 2000 when he was just a guy because it was like he's too small and he can't withstand what he wants to do. He has all these ambitious ideas and all these crazy things that he wants to do. But it's just – you know, it, it's – you got to have the muscle. You got to be an athlete to do that. I mean it, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. It happened to but him that, again towards the end of his WWE run where he was just – broken down oh every time he got in the ring he would something would explode yeah and he just didn't show himself he's reinvented himself now i think it's amazing what he's doing now in lucha underground and uh, in mexico and some of these indie matches where i mean you know it's it's with with multiple blown out knees and everything else but there were definitely you're right there were periods in his career where it looked like he was finished and sasha banks i mean she's in her early 20s and she's been wrestling for like five years and she already cannot avoid her body is just not built for it. Sasha, yeah, she will not wrestle on the next WWE pay-per-view after this one. Right. I I mean, how can you have any confidence that she will, especially <laughs> like, with all the shit that they're talking about, what they want to do in this match. Now, Charlotte is someone whose body is built for pro wrestling. I mean, she's, you know, she was a star college athlete yeah. player and she's got a great frame for this. And she's, she's, she's very sturdy and, 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 and she's just well built. I mean, she's built for this. Sasha Banks is someone who just isn't built for this. And, and the, the long the winded point that I'm getting to is there was a lot of talk that Charlotte wanted to do a moonsault off the top of the Hell in a Cell. And I mean, look, and, and this is coming from someone who has always said and has always been very steadfast and stubborn about these are their bodies. I don't give a shit what they choose to do to themselves. But that, that's a spot that really does concern me. And it's because 
you look at all the time, you know, Charlotte just did a moonsault or it wasn't even, it was like some kind of corkscrew. You remember on Raw? The, yeah, the corkscrew, yeah, the yeah. Corkscrew gimmick moonsault to the outside of the ring. And Sasha Banks, I mean, she pulled a Miz and she dove out of the way. And, you know, it's like I almost don't blame Sasha because there's probably a part of her that knows it's reverse, okay? To use your Rey Mysterio comp, if Banks is Mysterio, Charlotte is the psychosis here. Charlotte should be the base, okay? Charlotte should be catching Sasha. Sasha Banks does not have the frame to be catching and protecting a woman who's twice her size. I mean, she's going to kill her. And and that's not the only example of it. We've seen other examples of Charlotte doing these moonsaults and these dives, and Sasha just cannot catch her. If she – so, you know, we hear that they've told them they can't do it, which is which is the right move. Absolutely, yeah. And a lot can go wrong, too, when you, you, you're doing that. Absolutely. I mean, it, fall fall forward if you really want to. If you want to do an elbow drop or whatever. I'll, but falling backwards, I mean, too much can go wrong there. I, I, I get nervous about that. These are not the most graceful workers to begin with. <laughs> no, not at They're all. They're both very sloppy. Okay, they're both very sloppy. Both of them attempt things that their bodies just can't do because they're so ambitious. I respect their ambition, but they are kind of stupid sometimes. We've seen both of them almost die in the ring with each other. And, 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 and Sasha has just never been – she's not a base. She's too small. It's crazy that they even considered that spot. I mean, Sasha Banks is essentially the Miz when it comes to catching people. I mean, you see it all the time. She's just afraid to do it. She doesn't like doing it. Some people don't, aren't good at that. You know, they're not the only two. There's plenty of people who just aren't good at that. There's a reason when Dragon Gate does it that there's 19 people doing it (laughs) to make sure that no one's killing themselves. Okay, you watch these Dragon Gate matches. There's two entire units out there catching guys. These dives look phenomenal, but they're the safest fucking thing in the world. When when Charlotte does that corkscrew thing on, that thing was dangerous as fuck. She barely caught any. She caught barely caught a piece of Sasha's arm because Sasha dove out of the way to save herself. So I, I'm, I'm kind of afraid for these two because they're going to come up with something else very dangerous. And I, I just – I worry for Banks' body. I really do. Um, but I, I, I – listen, this idea that they can't go in there and have a match befitting of the Hell in a Cell is total bullshit. I mean there's no reason that they can't. They're good enough wrestlers to go in there and have a good match. And the issue is heated enough. And as you said, you know, they, they, they've proven that they could have a violent sort of match as well. Would you do a, would you main event them? I mean, look, I think people get too wrapped up in that stuff. I understand in this case, it's sort of a, it would be a landmark thing to have the women main event. So I understand the argument is a little different in this case, but I thought a couple of weeks ago when the three-way SmackDown match opened the show because of the debate, and then everyone got all bent out of shape because Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt main evented instead of Ziggler and The Miz. Who gives a shit? I mean, I, I don't know about you, Rich. I couldn't possibly care less. Everyone knows that the match that opened the show was the main event of that fucking Exactly, yeah. So what does it matter what goes on last and what goes on third? and what go- Who the fuck cares? I had to remind people, too, that like that's pretty much how they booked wrestling for you know decades. And <laughs> that would be a thing. Like The main event wouldn't always be. I mean, you know what the main event is, regardless of what match goes on last. If it's never been. I mean, yes, it's convenient. Most times the match that goes on last is the main event, but it's not always the case. Especially I mean, we, we know that. Company. Go on your little WWE network, go into your little vault, watch any of those house shows from the 80s or the 70s where Hulk Hogan goes on in the middle of the show, Bruno goes on in the middle of the show. I mean, that's the way WWE booked forever. They'd have their main event in the middle, then the match would happen, 
Then Howard Finkel or whoever would announce the main event for the next show based on what just happened that you just saw. And then in intermission, everyone would go buy their tickets for the next show. That's why they designed it that way. And then they would end the show with some, you know, crummy tag team match that nobody cared about as they were coming up on curfew. Okay? There's actually a couple shows on the network where the final match ends because of the curfew. Because they run out of time. <laughs> but they would yeah. do it that way because they, they didn't want the main event to end. You know, you see what I'm saying? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Of so course. That, you know, and also to sell the tickets in intermission. So there was a lot of reasons. This company historically, you know, for years didn't put their main events on last, especially at house shows. So it's like, um, look at Saturday night's main event. They put the main event on first because they knew airing that late at night, people would fall asleep before one o'clock in the morning. So they would put the Hulk Hogan match on first. Yeah, put the important match up, up front. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then they would know, you know, people are inevitably going to go to bed or fall asleep. So and then you'd put on your George Animal Steel versus Junkyard Dog match on at the end of the show. You know what I mean? So you want to draw your viewers. There. So there's a lot of different reasons. This happened to be because of the debate. Um, which I, I don't understand. Look, you have a network that's already paid for. I didn't. I don't know why they did that anyway. I mean, every, I mean, it's on demand. That was pretty silly in my opinion to put the main event. But that's that, that's not the point. The point is it didn't bother. I, who gives a shit what closes the show? Now in this case, you're talking about a women's match going up against two men's matches, and people want the women's match to main event for all. That. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I don't know if this is the spot you want to do that in. Sure, if if, if it gets you off that they go on last for some symbolic reason, more power to you. It wouldn't bother me at all. I don't care either way what any of these three matches go on last. But if you're going to main event a WWE pay-per-view with a women's match, I would strongly prefer that it's a match that is clearly built as the main event. Really make it mean something if you're going to make... And in this case, I don't see this match being pushed stronger than the other two. So I don't think it would really mean anything other than it just it wouldn't mean as much as it could mean if they. Right. And I think I, and that's a lot of the arguments that I have seen. And I, I do sort of agree with that is that I want it to be when when that's when the women is the main event, when you really get that. Because, you know, me, oh, we've done this on this podcast before, and I'm not saying that they're not worthy of it or anything like that. I'm saying you can never bottle that first time ever again. That first time you do it, the first time you say this is our main event, this is what we're pushing big and it's women. And you know, what I mean, like the first time you do that you want it to really matter you want it to really and no doubt in anyone's mind that those women deserve that that they there was no other choice but them to main event that and in this case eh, i don't know it's not like you said i don't know if it's quite there and again that's not me saying that they can't do it it's not me saying that they shouldn't do it i'm just saying that that first moment when you initially do that and say yes here is the in a lot of ways the culmination of what we've called for so long we branded as the revolution all that sort of stuff it's come to a head now because these women have absolutely made it no choice that they deserve to be in this main event that's when i want it to happen and i don't know if this match is is it has has proven that more than uh, any number of matches that they've had over over the last few months. So like, look, look I think you can build way. it up more. Yeah, way. like at WrestleMania, you could have put that three way women's match on last to you know with the new women's championship and all that. You could have done that. Would anyone would have bought that it was the real main event though? No, and it would have cheapened it. It would have cheapened the idea. It would have felt like they just main evented to sort of pat themselves on the back uh, the company I mean you know it wouldn't have felt like it was the real main event so don't cheapen it and I don't feel like this match I'm not sure that this is the hottest match coming into this show yeah I don't think it's, it would be as cheap as something like that but I just don't also think that it's going to be you know right. it, it's not going to be that special special moment for, that for I sure. think we it's not look it might be the hottest issue on this show but it, I, I'm not I'm not 
positive that it is. And it, we, we, I think you and I both want it to be head and shoulders, no doubt. Yes. Everybody's sitting down and watching Hell in a Cell to, or, or whatever the pay-per-view is. They're sitting down and watching it knowing that that's the final match. That deserves to be the final match. Like, you know, there were a few of those takeovers where I legitimately said you probably could have just ended it with the women and nobody would have batted an eye. I mean, that was – yeah, yeah, and, and and to some of those, that was the main event or whatever. I mean, so that that's, um, yeah, like Brooklyn would have been a great moment, I think, to do the, you, you know, Sasha and Bailey go on last or whatever. You know, obviously they, they didn't, but I think a lot of people went away with that. Still, that's the match that I think everybody remembers from that show, and, and rightfully so. So in a way, that was kind of the main event. So, but yeah, when you want to do that big time moment where this is closing the show, really do it well. And, and, and yeah, we'll see how this next week goes and if they really build it up that way. But uh, they did sort of... You know, fully went out and said, "Yeah, this will main event." And then, like a day later, it was like, "Well, I didn't say they were going to main event. Like, slow down. We don't know quite yet." So obviously, there's some trepidation on their end um, that they're not quite sure what they're going to do just yet. So we'll uh, we'll find out. But uh, otherwise, on this card, uh, those those three Hell in Cells we mentioned: uh, T.J. Perkins versus Brian Kendrick, Joe Cruiserweight Championship. Yeah, I mean, um, Brian Kendrick. I hope Perkins wins. Title shot. Yeah. Um. They did the old thing where he wins the non-title match, and then they did the six-man match, and then Kendrick, you know, he he tapped out Swan um, to to have him coming into this strong. Um, I, I hope Perkins retains. I I want Perkins as the champion when all of these international guys are you know come in when Tazawa and Grandma Talik and Noam Dar, uh, who I don't think is ready, um, but we'll we're gonna find out I guess. Um, when all those guys come in and the cruiserweight thing is is going full steam, I want Perkins to be the champion, but we'll see. I have a feeling Kendrick's going to win this. I kind of do too. And then the feud must continue. That's right. <laughs> because That's right. nobody else is trusted to be in a singles match yet. So there you go. Um, and then, we, of course, we have the uh, the New Day, uh, Biggie and Kofi Kingston uh, versus uh, Cesaro and Sheamus, and that's for the WWE Raw uh, Tag Team Championship. So into that one, but I'm I'm well past due on the uh, the New Day. But I don't I know that. could take the lead. Where, where, how far are they away from that demolition? Because they're not losing it until they beat demolition at this point. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't even care to look it up that much. But they're not losing until they 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 top. Demolition uh, really like do they? legit hold that record or is that um i god the tags are the tag titles are such a mess because it's went so many different ways. and combined yeah it came back and there's yeah i don't know if because like there's a raw tag i don't even think the raw I, i'm almost positive actually per wikipedia the raw tag team championship is actually dates back to uh kurt angle and chris benoit on smackdown and somehow it makes its way in the lineage to the new day so i yeah i don't know what who, who the hell cares? I don't even, yeah, <laughs> can't even. I mean, so I guess they're just saying any tag team champions. But anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much. Even when they this, try so. to nod at history, you seem to just not give a shit with this company. It's because it's you know what I mean. So because that's what that's what happened in the Attitude Era when they when none of the titles meant anything for so long. And right, well, you can't say like that guy has X reigns or whatever. Like they don't say that. Like when they talk about like Edge or whatever, because you don't want to say that Edge had 19 world title reigns or whatever. You know what I mean? It, like they're kind of you don't want to say that. Yeah. yeah, like, it's insane. Like, Edge's, Edge's, the amount of titles he has. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up this Wikipedia page right now, and I want you to guess how many, what, what numbers he has of these. Because I don't think, I don't know if you know if you're going to get anywhere near these, because there's so many yeah, times. Okay. I mean, he, okay, here, are you ready? Just run through it. All right, WWE Championship. This is just, a, they're, they're split, so they're not, there's, you know, do you want me to combine them? I'll combine both heavyweight championships. So, yes, because he won some SmackDown, he won some Raw ones, so I'm combining both. Eight. Eleven. Intercontinental Championships. Uh, Ten. Five. Like, oh. WCW United States Championships, Joe. Oh, God. I, what? I didn't <laughs> know he won. that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't either. Just one. Uh, World Tag Team Championships. These are different than the WWE Tag Team Championships. Okay, so. so there's 
Do you want me to? I'll combine it here. I'll combine those as well. So all tag team runs. All tag. That's got to be in the double digits. It has to be. It's fourteen. Holy shit! How many hardcore championships did he win? Oh god! Now, are they counting like the house shows and? <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Apparently just one. He beat Mick Foley or something. Or no, he was with Mick Foley. I guess they were. I don't even remember that storyline. But anyway, there you go. So, yeah. So that's why they don't do that. Because they, you can't. Because it's ridiculous. So, you, yeah. You got to find these little things here and there. So, whatever. All right. So that is Hell in a Cell. Are you ready to uh, talk Observer Hall of Fame? I, or do we want to? But let me ask you okay. a question. Do you think that there's a super fan out there somewhere who would be able to name all all 14 of his tag team title runs like in other words oh who he was with who he, who he was with and and who they beat to win them all 14 you think there's someone who can name all 14 uh no you don't I, think I there's really... anyone on the planet who could do that I really don't and and we I remember because we used to do wrestling trivia me and Sean Flynn would go to the the squared circle um in Chicago every uh every, they were doing them every Thursdays or whatever they had these wrestling trivias and we would like you name you ask us anything from 30 years ago 40 years ago 20 we have it the second you said how many uh, who did Kofi Kingston defeat to win the X you know his his eighth you know intercontinental nothing we had no idea and nobody did everybody got those wrong every single time so those are the kind of questions everyone would get wrong Everybody would get wrong every single time. And it, it didn't matter because there were fans that were a little bit more casual than us. Like, Sean and I would just – we'd destroy it. We'd win by, like, the third round. It wasn't even fun You guys anybody. never lost that, correct? And we'd never lost once, no. You, People stopped coming because they were just bored of us to dominating. destroy it. And I'm like, we wouldn't even talk. Sean and I would never even talk to one another because he, I would just look up at him and he'd be writing and I'd be like, all right, you're good. <laughs> one time he'd look up at me and I'd say, I need write. Like, we didn't even talk to each other. We were just – like, because we – it was it was not even fun. We just knew everything. And then one of these questions would come up of who did Edge – you know, Edge won the tag team. And I swear to God that was one of the final questions once. And the, the final question would be worth, you know, 15 points or whatever. And, and people would need that to beat us because we were so far ahead and we'd be like, oh, shit. So people would say, I, and I remember this being one. You know, Edge has you know twelve tag team championships. Name all of his partners, and and people missed them because. And, and still have I, it in front I, of you? I have it. Yes, he's had fourteen tag title runs. Right? Yeah. How many different mm-hmm. partners is it? One, two, three, four, five. Can I let me take a shot? Okay, go for it. The easy one, obviously, is Christian. Yep, that's seven. Seven of his uh, his fourteen. Another easy one is Orton. Uh, one. Um, three more tag team titles. Oh, um, oh, no, no, no. I was gonna say Lance Storm, but that was with Christian, right? Yeah, no. so Lance Storm is not one of them. It was the Un Americans, yes. Oh, shit. No. Uh, Rey Mysterio, yep. You got one with Rey Mysterio, he was the uh, WWE tag team champion that's with him. So that's six era, yep. So you got one, two, you got three left actually. Oh, so there were six all together, yes, yeah. Sorry, oh, shit. Um, one, I think most people will get. So one of them's obvious, and I'm whiffing. One of them's pretty obvious, yeah. I gotta tell you, I'm drawing a blank. Who are the other three? Okay, it was Hulk Hogan. Do you remember oh, that? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was I feel stupid. For the other two, I remember us getting wrong on the day, and it seems like you'd be like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." But I had like, I was sitting there racking my brain when they said these are the other two, and I went, "I, I'll be honest, I have absolutely zero recollection of these two ever being teams." Lay them on me. Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho. I remember. I, I don't. I remember the Benoit, but I do. I'd be lying if I said I remembered. What, what was it? One title run with, with Jericho? Uh, two actually. He won the World Tag Team Championship with Jericho and the WWE Tag Team what Championship. Year? With Jericho. Like oh eight? I have no clue. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I that oh eight like oh four to like two thousand and eleven is just forget, forget it. it. Yeah, you'll have no and idea. And Attitude Era too. 
I mean, yeah, attitude I can kind of keep a little bit just because it's, it's so vivid in my mind. The sheer because number of titles. Yeah, that's a little tough. Yeah, if you wanted, to, like, I think the the WCW title, I think it was May two thousand. I think changed like twelve times in that month alone, like, which is just the do best. Do you think there's anyone? You don't think there's anyone who could run off all of Edge's title tag team? <sighs> I I don't. Do you think there's a human walking the planet who can run off? All of the world title changes during the Attitude Era and not miss any. Um, I think I could do a pretty good chance of that. You think you could do that? Yeah. What, what are we defining as Attitude Era? Uh, from the moment. Well, what, well, what would I guess? Don't I guess? Stay, yeah. The, they, see, the, one of the problems they, though, and and it will be it'll be exactly what hangs up other people is the year two thousand. Because at least in like 1998, it was like Austin, and then it was like you know Undertaker and Kane won it for a day, and then you know that sort of stuff. But then when you get to 2000, the Rock and Triple H, I swear to God, changed that thing. Like we're swapping it on a weekly basis. That's what I mean, and like you have, no, and you have like because you'll miss one of those. You you can guess four in a row that it was them, but you're gonna there's one in between that you're gonna miss. Like it, it was six or something. You know what I mean? Like so that I, that's gonna be tough. I think I can maybe do it, but the year 2000 gets a little blurry because it's those same two dudes just trading the the, the title back like four or five I'm times. Pull so. it up. Let's see how far you can get okay we'll start with when austin beat uh sean michaels is that fair with, that's with, fair okay with mike tyson i think people would right. define that okay as... I'm, I'm throwing the, the laptop is is back so you, you can unless you have a better uh start point for attitude no that's that's would, pretty much it yeah I would, I would do that okay so uh we've got steve austin in boston of course beating yep. sean michaels uh rich crage go Okay, then I believe he lost it to a consortium of Undertaker and Kane. I'm going to have to go to the judges. Uh, we're going to give you that one. Kane was the next champion, correct? I don't. Oh, you know what? You could probably disqualify me there. He beat him at King of the Ring, 98, first blood match. Yeah, sorry. So, no, that, that you, you don't have to give that to me. That was bad, but uh, you can. Uh, that's fine. I got that one. So, I already forgot one. So, this is not so good. Is that Kane, was his first. You lost on the first one. It was a Kane one day title run, apparently. Yeah, he won the. the the Because the, uh, it was like he would burn himself on fire. It was in win. June. It wasn't at Royal Rumble. Yes, yeah, it was King of the Ring. It was the same. Uh, the, it was in a, it, the, the cell came down, and, uh, and it was. Mankind had to do a run in after the Hell in a Cell match. And which, Austin wins yeah. it back a day later. Yeah, in Cleveland. Then the consortium then vacant. Of... Vacant, yeah, because those two pinned each other at the same time, and they did that. Uh, you want to go from there? Then I'll give you a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, all right. From then... Vacant. Right. Uh, then we have The Rock, who won at Survivor Series '98. Correct. Then Mankind beat him in December. Correct. Then The Rock won it back at the Rumble. Correct. You're even giving me the dates and everything. This. Is... Yeah. Then Mankind beat him at halftime heat. Correct. Then Austin. Oh wait, no, because oh, because he gets it back. How does he? How the fuck does he get it back? Oh, St. Valentine's Day Massacre. The Rock gets it back, right? The, the Rock is next. Correct. I'm not gonna okay. mark you off if you get dates or shows wrong. Just get the guy okay. right. But you could. That's extra credit for so you can show off. The oh, they had like a ladder match on Raw or something, didn't they? I, I don't know what it is. I'm just looking at dates. Yeah, I think they had a ladder match and that Big Show interfered or something like that into that. Okay, so then you have Austin wins it at WrestleMania. Correct. Oh boy. Then it's weird. Doesn't Undertaker win it at like over the edge? Correct. Oh, geez. Now I might be in trouble here. Oh, man. So Undertaker oh. on the 23rd of May, 99 until. Oh, man. Oh, Mankind wins it at SummerSlam, right? No, no. So, somebody wins it in between there. Austin wins it again sometime Austin in between. Wins it again. There. Yeah, and then Mankind wins and it at Mankind, SummerSlam. Correct. You're on a roll. And then Triple H beats him the correct. night after. 
And then Vince McMahon beats him on like some shitty SmackDown Correct. or whatever, right? See, that's why I win Russell. Russell, people don't know. I, I know my shit. Um, and then Vince loses it like a few days later to Triple H again, right? Mm, I'm gonna give you that one. It's vacant for six days. I don't know what, what kind of angle they did. I don't know what happened. But either, Triple yeah. H was the next champion. Keep going. Okay, and that was at. Uh, can you give me the pay per view? That'll help. That was the. It the was one on nine twenty six that he won the title. Okay. Um, I'll give you the match. Hold on. Uh, give you a little because you're doing good here. Let's see. That was Unforgiven. Triple H defeats Kane, Mankind, Big Show, British Bulldog, and The Rock. And oh, that is not the match. Challenge okay. with the that referee was... as Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> that is like a pizza with too many toppings. You know, it's like there's just <laughs> way too much, too there, much yeah. going on in that match. It's utterly ridiculous. But uh, I'm gonna have to go watch that match. The British Bulldog snuck his way yeah, into that match. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, now I'm struggling here a little bit. So we got Triple H wins it. Where does he lose it? Because WrestleMania 2000 is still... It off right now. Yeah. That's, that's 926.99. That Somewhere the Rock wins it, right? Nah, I think you're going to have to tap out. out. The next uh, yeah, 2000 becomes the a blur show. for me. Oh, Survivor Series, the big show. Yep. Okay. And Triple okay. H won it back from Big Show. Held it for 118 days, which might as well be an eternity during this era. Mm-hmm. And then The Rock won it back. And then there's like four of them trading it, right? For like every other month. Then Triple H, then The Rock again. Mm-hmm. And then Kurt okay. Angle enters the picture. And now we're pretty much entering a different era. Well, not right. really. Okay. Well, kind of, sort of. You know what I mean. Because then you have Austin win it uh, at WrestleMania 17. And then that's... Angle, Rock. Because Angle loses it to The Rock at No, uh, no Way Out. Yes. And then, Austin... and then Austin beats him. And then the Attitude Era is over. So, okay. Not, not terrible. But yeah, the 2000 is kind of a blur. 2000, you were right, though. 2000 is where you knew you were going to get tripped up. Yeah. And that's exactly where it happened. Because 2000 is just where shit got stupid. And, you know, I, you know it's, it's hard to watch, man. Hard to watch. All right. Now you want to do Observer Hall of Fame? Yeah. All right. Let's do it. So we both sent on our ballots. Uh, we've been t- meaning to talk about this for a while. I think one, one person asked us this, and I guess we can kind of it – was a, it was a question that was sent to us earlier, but I think it's a good opportunity to talk about it now. Did you, in your mind, was there something different about this year's Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame? Because people kept asking, oh, why aren't you guys covering it? Oh, you guys used to do so much about it. Oh, you guys used to have a bunch of articles and a bunch of different podcasts and used to have to do this. And and I agree. We did used to do all that stuff, and I wanted to do all that stuff. But I was trying. I was reaching out to people. Hey, you know, we used to have guests that would write stuff on here. Uh, we'd have people that would come on a podcast. We would do a podcast on each of the categories with a certain person. We tried to do some of that this this year. But it seemed like nobody – there was a collective like nobody cared about it. Nobody was really interested in about it. Even our forum, there was some little discussion here and there, but not nearly to the level it had been in prior years. So when it was all said and done, we really didn't cover it all that much. But it wasn't because we didn't want to or try. It was just that we we didn't see any – like there wasn't this clamoring for it. There wasn't like there was a ton of people asking for it. So, Joe, did you notice that as well, that there just wasn't that much discussion about it this year? I think interest was down across the board everywhere, not just at our site. Um, places like Pete. I didn't find anything on the Observer. You can find anything on the Observer board either. I went I mean, in there yeah. saying, hey. I went in there saying, okay, our forum's dead. Nobody wants to talk about it, but there's always this discussion. I, I could not find it on the Observer board at all, anywhere. Observer board, uh, places like PWO where they talk about that sort of stuff a lot. Interest was down a bit. Um, the chatter just wasn't at the level that's usually at. I completely agree. Uh, my personal theory to that is. I think people have just said everything they need to say about this group of candidates. I mean, who really wants to debate? I mean, we know where everyone stands with Sting. You know what I mean? We know where everybody stands with Akira Tawe and Junakiyama and Junkyard Dog. 
we're just we're yelling back and forth at each other, making the same points. I think the ballot just needs some fresh names. That you know, well, that's why I'm always in favor of. Um, I, I, we mentioned this for even the baseball hall of fame or whatever. Maybe not one year because I think one year might be a little extreme. But like two or three years, you're not on, you're out. You know, you know what or you are. You're a hall of famer or you're not. Like you know, I, I've always been of that mindset that don't let these guys linger for ten years because, like you're saying, we get this thing where it's like, all right, you know. Brian Danielson is about the only person anybody wants to argue about, or maybe, you know, CM Punk. Like, that's it. Like, those are the only modern guys that have, otherwise, everybody else has been there for 10 years. And it's like, well, I don't really care to argue You're about You're right. Them. Most of the talk, too, is about those two guys. But wrestling's a little different in that no one really retires and everyone's still building a case. Sure. So there is, but, but I do agree. I don't have any problem with the change a couple of years ago where Dave is knocking guys off the ballot um, a little sooner than he used to. Um, I, I, because I'm with you. If you look, it, if if someone doesn't get in in fifteen years, then then fuck them. They don't. They they clear. How much longer do you want to argue about the same people? I mean, if it if after fifteen years you can't convince sixty percent of the people to vote for them, then they don't belong in. I mean, yeah. Sorry, Red Bestein is not getting. I, in. Sorry, I mean, like come yeah. on, the guy's been dead yeah. for a decade. <laughs> right. Like, sorry. You know, like, Red Bestein hasn't wrestled a match since nineteen eighty two. I mean, at this point, it's like he's not getting in. Get him off. Let's go. Life moves on. Can we can we get rolling here? Yeah, Kinji, Kinji Shibuya is, is, I don't know, he's sorry, getting, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, he had 50 a few years ago, and now he's got 10, so it's whatever, okay, sorry, I don't know what to tell you. these guys sitting on the ballot, <laughs> yeah. getting 20% of the vote every year, and just sucking the life force out of everybody else, let's get some fresh faces on there, you know, let's move it along. But I, I do think that that has hurt it a little bit, is just we're, we're all tired of arguing the same names. What can be added to a big daddy argument that hasn't been added yet? Right. I mean, there was a 100-page thread in the Observer board. You know, that's been going on for the last five years. Nothing left to add. Same thing with Sting. Okay? With Sting, what it comes down to is, did his three WWE matches change your mind? If the answer is yes or the answer is no, then there's nothing left to talk about after that. I mean, that's all he's done. So, I mean, that's really I, – and I think Sting is getting in, by the way, because of – I do, too. I do, too. That WWE run's definitely going to help. So. You know, he had the big jump last year, and I, and, and I think with so many people getting in last year, that frees up a lot of votes. So – I think some of those votes will go his way. I mean, if he retains the 54% or whatever it was he had last year, I think it was 54%. Uh, he had 51% last year, but it was a jump. He had 33 the year prior. So, yes. so he had he jumped to 51%, and something like seven or eight candidates got in last year. So that's going to free up a lot of votes. So he doesn't really need to gain. Well, then again, we don't know how many new ballots Dave has sent out. He just keeps adding new ballots. So, you know, Correct. So that there's that factor, too. But I think he gets in. I think Brian Danielson gets in this year. Um, aside from that, it's really hard to read. I'm, you know, once again, the most interesting category is Mexico. You know, I'm really curious what happens with Mexico. We do have some public ballots. I put up a thread for public ballots on our message board, and we had some very prominent lucha experts who graciously posted their ballots. So, would you like me to run those off for you? Yeah, please do. Yeah, uh, Rob Viper. The most interesting candidate to me on the entire ballot is Mystico, right? I mean, that he's a great test case. Uh, Rob voted for Mystico. He voted for Mystico, Cien Caras, Ultimo Guerrero, Carlo Flagarde, Blue Panther, uh, Signo Tejano and Navarro, that trio, and Viano 3. Yeah. So, and those guys, Aviano and uh, the El Signo, it, it's kind of, they were at uh, 56 last year, uh, and Sincaros was at 54 last year. So you, uh, you know, if Rob's uh, a representative of them, they, they probably pre- passed the threshold this year. But Mexico's weird. It's always like those guys are like always right there and don't quite get in. So uh, who knows? So that's, he voted for seven people. 
um, let's see, Cubs fan voted for the same seven, but in addition, he also voted for uh, the Brazos, L.A. Park. Okay, they had, they had 33 last year. Uh, Park had 29. Huracan Ramirez. He had 31. Right, so he voted for the same seven plus those three. So, um, let's see who else voted Lucha. Uh, Keith Harris. He also voted for Mystico. It's looking good for Mystico. Yeah, Mystico probably is getting in. Cian Caris, Carlo Flagarde, Blue Panther, Signo, Tejano, Navarro, and Viano 3. So the same six men Rob Viper voted for. He just didn't vote for – which one did he leave off? Was it Panther? Did he not do I Panther? I voted for I Blue Panther. Oh, you did say Ultimo Panther. Ultimo Guerrero. Okay. Oh, Ultimo. Okay, okay. He had only 21 last year, so So th- those good. six men that Keith voted for were on all three of the ballots – uh, at least on our message board. Let me see if there's any other Lucha guys. Uh, uh, Alan Blackstock voted for Mystico and Cian Caris. And as far as Lucha go, oh, here we go. Uh, Joe Gagne. He did not vote for Mystico. First guy. Never heard of him. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> he voted for Cian Caris, Huracan Ramirez, Blue Panther, Los Brazos, and Viano 3. Well, Cian Caris doing well. So what do you think? Mystico got a lot of support. Yeah, Mystico seems like a good one. But Mystico's was so weird because we have our little representation that we all, you know, our little bubble or whatever. And for most categories, I think, you know, our little bubble is somewhat representative of. But for Mexico, man, like, I'll hear these guys and I'm thinking, okay, everyone's voting for Mystico. He's going in and then he'll get like 40%. And it's like the only people that voted for him were our little bubble. And then like all the other people, you know what I mean? Like, Mexico's just so weird. I, I never have a good handle on Mexico for the, the Observer Hall of Fame. I'm so, so glad, I, I'm so glad I don't vote Mexico because I want nothing to do with it. It's, it, you know, well, I don't want to get involved. Like, I don't know enough, so I don't want to ruin these guys. And I do that with historical, too. We'll talk about it in a little bit. Like, yeah, ideally, I could start learning about the historical. But, like, to, I, I just don't want to ruin it for the guys that really are that passionate about it because I'm an idiot. And, like, I don't know anything about the historical. So even if I do know, I don't know half of what they do. And, and I just feel bad getting involved in it and, and maybe fucking it up for guys that they are really passionate about going in. Like, because if I voted this, I'd probably be like, yeah, Mystico. And then, like, I ruin, you know, Signo, Takano, and, and those guys. And, like, I don't know shit about them. So it's like, yeah, th- th- I just don't feel right about doing that. I, I miss Chris Zellner. He did not vote for Mystico, but he did vote for Cian Caris. I think Cian Caris is getting in. How close was he? He's in. Uh, he was 54 last year. And he's year, dropping so, yeah. from the ballot if he doesn't get in. Yeah, he's one of them. So, yeah, that, there's like a there's very a, good chance he's yeah, going. Yeah, there's a lot of support for him, it looks like, um, based on the fact that people don't want him to fall off. He might get in. Um, so there you go. That was Those were two guys that I missed. But... I went super conservative again on my ballot. I only voted for, yeah, sure. I only voted for three guys. I, yeah, do you want to go? Let's go category by category. Okay. I'm going to run the guys down, and you let me know who you voted for. Okay. Um, and I will do the same as well. Historical, I stayed out. Did you stay out as well? No, I, I'm, I, I normally do. This year I jumped back in because I was always a Pedro Morales voter. And for whatever reason, Dave put him back on. And I felt it would be disingenuous if I didn't vote for him. Because he used to be in the U.S. in North American, but now he's thirty years past his peak, so he's been put into the historical. So I did vote for Pedro Morales, and here's the other reasoning too. When I found out that when you vote for the non wrestlers, you're also voting for whatever category they should be in. In other words, I know I'm voting for people in the non wrestler category that, and it's counting against everyone in the historical. So if that's the case, if there's other people, I don't like that. That's I don't so like. Terrible. It's confusing. Ugh. It would be fine if Dave would explain that. 
but he doesn't explain the only yeah we only found that out because chris harrington did some numbers and went wait a minute where did this number come from and it was like oh okay like mookie hadn't figured that out no one would know so i don't feel bad about voting for pedro morales now because i know my votes were counting against those guys inadvertently anyway so yeah i voted for pedro morales in that group all right, I did not, so I abstained from that category. So, uh, well, you didn't because if you vote, who did you? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, geez, no, sorry, no, sorry, no, historical guy. Let me look. Let me see who you're not. Yo, yeah, you voted for Jim Crockett Senior, so you voted no for everyone else in the historical. Uh, that's so terrible. Yeah, that sucks because, like, geez, that's that's bad. But anyway, uh, I followed modern performers in U.S. and Canada. We have Brian Danielson, Junkyard Dog, Edge, Kurt Hennig. Randy Orton, CM Punk, Sergeant Slaughter, Sting, Kerry Von Erich, who made his return to the ballot, and Ultimate Warrior Joe. Who did you vote for in this category? There are there's one slam dunk in my opinion, and that's Brian Danielson. There's a couple guys who are strong that I thought about, like CM Punk, and there's a couple that are absolute joke candidates that I would never vote for in a million years, like Edge, um, Ultimate Warrior, Kurt Henning. I can't vote for those guys ever. Um, Randy. Randy Orton is not, yeah, he's not a serious candidate either. But uh, I voted for Brian Danielson. That was it. Uh, That's all I did as well, uh, was Brian Danielson. He's a guy that we've talked about many times on this podcast. Like, if a worker or if a draw of his level got on this ballot, he would get in with no question, 100% of the, you know what I mean? Like, that guy would waltz in if he was as good of a draw as Brian Danielson was as a worker for as long as Brian Danielson was. And there were people that argue uh, about his, I mean, the guy for 10, uh, for a decade straight was just the best in the world, almost unquestioned, almost by everybody would would say. I mean, he's a slam dunk. And then he adds in that WWE run, too, where he had great matches, you know, not to the level of his ring of honor or his work, you know, elsewhere uh, and the independence, but, you know, goes into WWE and then kind of works his style. Again, you know, not the most spectacular matches, but some very good matches in there. But then also, you know, main events of WrestleMania, you know, kind of makes them alter all their plans. Like, just an absolute bona fide. Any, any level that you can look at, I think Brian Danielson's a slam dunk. He, he should moonwalk the fuck in. And I, I can't believe he only got 54% last year. He should have been at it, – it's incredible. I, I'm shocked someone like him doesn't get, like, 80 90%. I mean, I, yeah. I feel that strongly about him. And listen, I'm not someone – there's a lot of people who get real emotional about the Hall of Fame and get really mad when certain people get in or they get really mad when certain people don't get in. I'm not emotional about the Hall of Fame at all. That made me emotional, the fact that he only got 54% of the vote. I have no fucking clue what people are thinking who do not tick his box. It makes no fucking sense. He's as much of a slam dunk as anyone ever, aside from your Hulk Hogan's, Jim Londos, Jerry Lawler's, like the people who were just, you know what I mean? Once you get past that group of guys, Ric Flair, Mitsuharu Masao, he's as much of a lock as anybody. Basically. Right. If, if Danielson doesn't get in in this generation, then just shut it down because there's nobody else. I, it really, I mean, nothing else obsessed me. There have been people who have gotten in who I didn't think deserved it. And there are people who I think deserve it who haven't gotten in, like Junakiyama. But I don't get emotional about any of them. That really fucking upsets me. I do not, I cannot accept a no argument for him. People make these no arguments and they just, it goes in one ear and out the other. I think people who don't vote for him are insane. I think you're insane if you don't vote for this man. It's it's totally illogical to me. 
Uh, CM Punk, I did vote for him last year. I did not vote for him this year. Uh, for whatever reason, I was kind of thinking about it, and there was just something about it that I said, ah, you know what, I'm going to give this guy a few more years. I, I'm not sure if he's done. I feel like he's going to get back in the ring at some point. And there was just something, I don't know. It was like last year there was just this hysteria around him, and I just felt that, that yeah, this guy deserves to get in, and he absolutely does. And then more and more I'm thinking about it, the more and more I was kind of looking back at some data. I said, yeah, you know, let me give this guy a little bit. Let me, let, let's let some other people kind of go in first before I put him in. Just, I, I don't know. There was just something about it where this year I wrote him down, and then I crossed it out, and I wrote him down, and I crossed it out, and I just said, if I'm doing that, then I don't think I should be voting for him then, if I'm having this thoughts even for a second in my head. So uh, I left him off this year, um, and then I voted only for Brian Danielson, like you are saying, so nobody else. We have the uh, same exact train of thought on Punk. I went through the same process. I, I, He was the hardest one for me to decide on, and what went through my mind is exactly what you said. I said, if I have to think about it this hard, he's not a Hall of Famer. Yeah, and I, I almost hit enter. I almost hit send, and I went back, and I was like, okay, yeah. And then I said, no, I, I, if I'm doing this, he's not, yeah. It's, if this even enters my brain for a little bit, because that's how I'm kind of taking the Hall of Fame. Is I see your name, yeah, I'll do some research, and I'll do some stuff, but I, I just kind of, something will click, and it clicks and says, yes, that guy deserves it, that guy doesn't. you know. That, and, and I was doing this song and dance with CM Punk, and I was like, no, it, 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 he doesn't deserve it then, this year, at least in my mind. If, if I'm doing that in my head, then no. Now, he, so he's a guy I could see myself voting for down the line if his, um, you know, if, if his influence becomes more obvious as the years pass or if he comes back and pops a big number somewhere. Um, but, you know, another guy who the same thing year after year, I would stare at his name and then it would just come down to, well, I'm thinking too hard about it is junkyard dog. I come so close to voting for him every year, but I just can't get past the idea that, you know, that run just wasn't long enough for me. There's just something about mm-hmm. that run that just wasn't long enough. And there's something about WWE. He comes to WWE and he's the number two guy in the very beginning, but it just that didn't last very long either. You know, he got passed by other people in that company to the point where very quickly he was just a guy on the mid card during the peak of his career. And that, Something about that irks me. I don't know. I, you know, and, and yeah, there's a weird optics with that, where that guy he ended his career on that level. You know what I mean? Like, and it, and it was a big... ju- like the end of his career was the god awful WCW run. It's like when he first got to WWE, he was still like in his prime, and it didn't really. And he had like... a handful of years where it was just nothing. Yeah, <laughs> and, just and, there, and it's yeah. like I just can't pull the trigger on him. And and Sergeant Slaughter, I just and the other thing with Junkyard Dog is he was such a horrendous worker that I think I think he was such a bad worker that it actively hurts him where I can overlook your shitty work. If you're so strong in other areas, it's like his work was so bad though, that I do think it hurts him because his matches were horrendous. Um, Sergeant slaughters, a guy, his work, he's a guy who gets a short end of the stick because I feel like before, you know, it's like rest when wrestling, you know, when the wrestle, when the Hulkamania era came in 85, 80 or whatever. And, and, it's like when people had their eyes on Slaughter, like a lot of people who are voting now who became fans during that era, is when his work rate went in the tank. You go watch old Slaughter. That guy was one hell of a worker, especially yeah, for yeah. his size. I mean, you know, his agility and his bumping. And that guy was a great bump and sell guy. And he was just, you know, a great worker. And he was very famous. I mean, I think you downplayed him a little on our board. I think it's because of your age, though. No, and that, that's, yeah, go ahead, and then I'll... I'll, I'll, you, I'll, uh, I'll let you counter, yeah. yeah, but I mean, I think the, what the other poster was saying, I agreed with, because me being a few years older than you, and that guy, I assume, too, whoever that poster was, I forget who it was. Yes, he's about, I think, 33, 34, 35, somewhere in that range there, so yeah, he's close to you. So it's like, it, it, it's like, I think he's right, like, I think during that time when I was a kid, like, if, if you're using the mom test, for example, has your mom heard of somebody? 
my mother 1000% would have known who Sergeant Slaughter was instead See, of yeah, Randy Savage. Like I don't think Sergeant so. Yeah, Slaughter I just was more famous than Randy Savage, I think. Yeah. For a short period I, of time there. Not Hogan, and that, that was not uh, not uh, not Piper, but Savage, yes, he was more he was more famous than Randy Savage. I, I That's yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, I I feel like and and again, it's probably just part of, you know, when I grew up in my generation and people below me, but I really cuz he put those names in there. He said, "Oh, when you think of a a Hulk Hogan or Randy Savage, uh, those guys are household names, Roddy Piper or whatever." Sergeant Slaughter's right there and I I I'm thinking, you know, even my casual fan friends and and that sort of stuff, I don't know if I said, "Hey, list, you know, the classic you know, WWF wrestlers or whatever. I I don't know that they would say Sergeant Slaughter right away, and that's a. It, it's nothing against him. It's just the fact that when a lot of us started watching, he either wasn't there, or when he did come back, he was the Iraqi yes. Sergeant Slaughter, and he fucking sucked. He was terrible. Yeah, he had a horrendous main event with Hulk Hogan. He had a horrendous run. His promo sucked. The character was stupid. It didn't draw. It was just a mess. And and then he was out of there in in, in no time. And it was like he he was a blip on the radar. So yeah, I, I if if you're not you know. 35 and you're under and that like yeah i can still even watch stuff but in my mind he is not one of those classic guys right. he is not if, one of the guys if, when i say that if yeah. you're under 35 i get it but if you're over 35 he was just as famous as a lot of those guys sure no and i believe that but for me i, I just can't get ahead around that because i'm saying no i in my mind he is not those are the i think of those names initially and i think my friends would think of those names initially and i don't know if they would think of sergeant slaughter right away i think he would come up God, he'd come up tenth, I think. Fifteenth, if I if I said list your class WF guys, because they're gonna list guys from nineteen eighty eight to nineteen ninety two. They're not gonna list guys from nineteen eighty two. They're not gonna go to nineteen eighty two. Yeah, you know. You know, and ironically, to circle back, I mean, when he left over the GI Joe thing, because you got to remember the reason he was so famous in the mid eighties, very memorable gimmick. I mean, a super memorable, you know, gimmick with a great name, Sergeant Slaughter. Well, I'll is tell you a this. better pro wrestling name than Sergeant Slaughter? There isn't. Do you, do you want to know how I know who Sergeant Slaughter is? From GI, I didn't know he was a wrestler. And then when he came into WWE, I was like, oh, okay. Right. I knew him from GI Joe. Yes. I didn't. I had figures of him. I had no fucking clue who he was as a wrestler. He had the great gimmick. He had the great name. And he had the GI Joe deal. And he was very famous because of that. And really, easily the most famous non-WWE wrestler during those days because of the GI Joe deal. But... um. But yeah, and then he, you know he came back, and there was nothing Hall of Fame worthy at all about that second run in 1990. Um, he was shot as a worker. The uh, his the, the WrestleMania obviously was a giant bust to where they had to move it to the other building and everything. But um, you know he's a guy where I think he kind of gets the short end of the stick because a lot of voters of the new voters are like your age, you know, under 35. They don't, you know, they don't know, and they definitely unless you go back and watch old footage, you don't know what a great worker he was. Um, you know, back in the mid-Atlantic days and whatnot. But uh, yeah, he's the other guy. And the others on the North American ballot, I don't know. I just, I, I don't think any of them are particularly strong candidates unless I'm forgetting someone. I don't know why. What did Kerry Von Erich do since the 25th that he blew his brains out to make him a candidate? I don't understand. <laughs> Last year, I don't know, something, uh, maybe uh, Kevin Von Erich tweeted something out that was, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm down on edge as a candidate. Can Kurt Henning just stop? Can we do end with the yes, Kurt I mean, Henning he's thing? He's going to get 30%. One of my favorites ever, but I'm, I've never voted for him. Nobody I know votes for him. I don't know who these 20 people are that vote. Just stop. It's over. It's done. Sorry. You were great, but it's done. Like, gonna, not all famous. He's going to sit on a historical list for. <laughs> he's been 20. Here's, here's the numbers for Kurt Henning over the years. It's insane. 2010-19, so I'm going to go from 2010 until okay. so he's 19, 29, 22, 30, 23, 30. What are we Just doing? Just get him off. <laughs> what are we doing here? And here's the thing. When was his last year? Like 2000, 
2002. When did he die? 2002. Yeah, he, he made his little WWE uh, return in 2002. So in 2000, so 15 years, 30 years. So in 2032, he's going to go on the historical thing, and it's on there for 15 years. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, Meltzer's going to be dead before this guy falls off the ballot. I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be crass here, but I mean, let's. Jeez, let's, yeah. You know, so it's like 2032 is 16 years from now. And then 15 years from then, we're talking 31 years from now when this guy's fine. No, wait. He has to be off for two years. <laughs> right. Yeah. So this guy's not going to be off the ballot entirely for 33 years. I mean, I hope Dave is alive, vibrant, and kicking when he's 84 years old. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> but there's a chance that Dave won't even be around by the time Kurt Henning and – and we know he's never getting in. That's the point I'm making here. He's never getting in. So you're right. These guys are on the ballot entirely too long. All right, let's move to Japan here. You got Jun Akiyama, Shima, uh, Yoshiaki Fujiwara, Gordon uh, Gordieko, uh, Volkan, Hayabusa, Kimura, Kojima, and Tenzan, Yuji Nagata, Mike and Ben Sharp, Minoru Suzuki, Tamura, and Akira Tawe. Joe, who'd you vote for? There's a lot of Hall of Very Good on this list. Uh, the only guy I vote for is the only guy I voted for last Well, no, I voted for... Yeah, this is the only guy I voted for last year. Uh, Jun Akiyama. I vote for him as, also uh, primarily as a work rate candidate because here was a guy who was great from his very first match. You can make an argument... And that's legit. Go, You can go watch yeah, it. Like, He's already... Literally, his very first match. He was already great. And that match is readily available. And the thing about it is, this is a guy... What year did he debut? 90... What, 91, was it? Love. Yeah, somewhere either 90 or 91. So he's been yeah. a wrestler for, tw- like, let's say 25 years this guy's been a pro wrestler. You can make a legitimate argument he's been one of the 20 best pro wrestlers in the world every single year for the last 25 years. I mean, Rich, to me, that's incredible. It, it might be, he might be the only wrestler ever who can claim that. Maybe Jushin Liger, who, by the way, was got in the Hall of Fame without a vote. And deservedly so, 1996, I believe, first class. Yeah, correct. I mean, you know, so it's like to me, just on his work alone, I, I, I can't, I can't not vote for the guy. But then on top of that, I think he's very underrated as a draw. I think he takes too much shit for for being a failure. I don't think he's a failure as a draw. I think he drew plenty of big houses, enough to where it might not be Hall of Fame worthy on its own. But his drawing ability... Oh, it's a feather. Yeah, you can add it's it. It's a it's, feather it's, in his cap. Yeah. Absolutely. It, 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 in conjunction with his strongest area, which is his work, I don't think uh, anything about his drawing ability hurts him. I think it only helps a little. So um, I will continue to vote for him. I'm not confident he'll ever get in, but uh, he's, you know, I'll keep putting his name on until it falls off of there, which might not be till like 2050, but, uh, you know, because he's still active and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I voted for Junakiyama, but that's it. I did uh, Akiyama as well for the exact same reasons you mentioned. And then I did Shima as well. And he's a guy that I voted for the past few years. Um, Alan has done a great job. Alan 4L, obviously. Alan Cunahan, who you were a guest on his uh, Dark Keith Present show on F4W Online, which I believe is a free show, right? So anybody can listen to it. You don't have to be a subscriber, right? Free show. Myself, uh, Alan brought myself and Mike Sempervivi on. He's doing a gimmick where he brings on duos of people who have never done radio together. And me and Mike were uh, the first group. Uh, he... It's top secret who's coming up on the next set of shows. I don't know who's inviting <laughs> on these things. He won't tell anybody. But, yeah, it's a free show. You can go listen to, to me, Mike, and Alan 
uh, babble about Japanese wrestling for two and a half hours. But Alan always has this great argument, I believe. Uh, other people, especially Dragon Gate fans, will bring that up, of, of this the influence Shima has had in a lot of American workers as well, of that guy who, anybody who comes to that system is always better, and they always go to America, and they're always good. You know what I mean? Like, there's just an extra thing. And the fact that, again, I agree, I don't know that he's, like, an Akiyama-level worker or whatever, but, like, you talk about a guy for a decade plus, you know, more than that, has just been solid every time guy. And I just think it, it, it's due time that, that Dragon Gate gets a little bit of love in these uh, ballots and these awards or whatever, because that that's a promotion that with Shima as one of the guys, and no, he's not maybe the quote-unquote guy all the time, but he's the stabling force of that company. And that company for, you know, again, like another decade has just been solid. They draw the same, you know, yes, it, it, maybe it's boring in the sense that they all just, you know, flick a, they flip a coin, you know, whatever they do. They open the doors and, and 1,800 people walk into every Cork and Hall show. And, and you know, but it, it, I think we just take it for granted of how stable that company is, how good that company is, how good of a worker he is, and what influence he's had in developing a lot of those workers that have come through Dragon Gate and developing a lot of the American workers that have come through Dragon Gate. And they've all been better for it. Every single one of those guys, every American guy that he picks out or, or, or that he puts under his wing and that comes to America, they all come out way better. Yeah, a pack doesn't exist. A ricochet doesn't exist. You know what I mean? Like you can list thousands of guys. There's a, there's dozens of guys that they don't they don't exist at the certain at the level that they're at without Shima, and without him being the stabilizing force of that company. So you know, Cork and Hall told Dragon Gate that they had to stop selling standing room only seats because they were breaking fire codes and everything. I mean, that's how well they draw in that building. It's crazy. Every single show. Well, the stupid show that we were just talking about. 1,800 people. Just open the door, boom. Okay, there you go. I mean, I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, every time. to the point where the building will not let them sell more tickets. Yeah. And it's so every I, show. I, I, think, I think it's time to get a little bit of credit, and I think Shima's the guy that should get that credit because that it's really his his baby, you know, in all ways, I would say. So, I, I don't know. I mean, I, he's probably not going in, um, or at least not anytime soon, but I think it's something. I, I think he's deserving. I could be talked into voting for him. He's another guy who is always, like, one of my last cuts. I just can't pull the trigger. I just, it's Dragon Gate. Oh, man. I mean, you can't show me a, a, a they've never drawn 10,000 fans. I'm not certain they've drawn 8,000 fans. You know what I mean? I'm not certain they've drawn. Oh, Kobe World gets 40,000 every year. Every time like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm not entirely, like, if you put a revolver to my head and said, Joe, in your heart of hearts, do you think they've ever drawn 7,000 paid? I might have to say no. You know what I mean? So it's like, and that's not to put Dragon Gate down. I just, it's a Hall of Fame. You know what I mean? It, it, and, and they do great, and they're number two in Japan and all that. But um, I, I just, I cannot pull the trigger on him. Now, on that DKP show that you mentioned, man, when Alan and Semper Vivi started talking about Shima and how great of a worker that he really is and, and how great he is, like, Maybe not in the sense that he has this litany of four-star matches or this, this, this resume full of five-star classics, but in terms of just match-to-match, day-to-day, what a great worker he is, and in terms of the little things that he does, and, and, and when they were just going on and on, man, they had me. And, and you know they talked me into it, and I'm sitting there thinking, man, I should have voted for this guy, because they're right. Shima is a great fucking wrestler. Yeah. I mean, he's so good, you know? And, and, um, he lulls you in because he's just been so good for so long. And, and yeah. I think you just you, you kind of take him for granted in a lot of ways. And Alan talked about matches that he's, he went to live where, you know, maybe guys weren't as good as him and things started to fall apart. And, and Shima just he just saves it, you know, and he's seen him do that several times. And he just knows how to save a match. And, 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 and he's just so skilled. And then we started talking about 
the match that me and you talked about earlier against the three young boys. And that had no right being a great match, Rich. You know what I mean? But it's like, you know, you turn every time you turn around. And another good, here's another thing about Shima. Name me a bad Shima match. This was another point that Alan made. Name me one. Th- give me a bad Shima match. Yeah, a match where it just completely fell apart, where he was in it and it just sucked. <laughs> like, I mean, the guy's floor is three and a half stars. I mean, he's great. The problem is that he doesn't have those. You, you, at the same token, give me the all-time classic Shima. Match. Right. Yeah. Maybe you can. It's like I'm sure I can think of a couple, but it's like it's harder than with someone. Like if I say Akiyama, you give me a whole list. If I say Tanahashi, you give me a whole list. Nakamura, whoever. But who's more consistent, Shima or Nakamura? You know, it's, it's, Shima really is a great worker and it's just, man, you know, it's, it's, I'm really close with him. I could see myself being talked into it one of these years, but he just, he's a tough cut, but I only voted for three fucking guys that were, you know, and aside from the non-wrestlers. So I'm a tough marker, man. I don't, I don't know. I just, I can't pull the trigger. Anyone else from Japan intrigue you? Um, Hayabusa was an interesting one. I didn't do Hayabusa initially, but I've seen arguments from him, especially from uh, a few different people that are, obviously, I, I would consider Hayabusa historians. Uh, people love the guy, and you can really look at a lot of those FMW things and, and put it, I, he was a tough get, he's a guy that I could see in a few years, maybe if people kind of get a little bit more rallied around him and really do some research, the guy that I can maybe see putting in there, um, but he's tough, he's a tough one initially, I, I don't know. He, you know, I was going to vote for him because I think, um, I think he influenced a generation of flyers. I really do. Certainly. Oh, I, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's still guys coming up today who talk about watching Hayabusa tapes and he's a guy who, um, who, who peaked during the tape trading era, right when I started trading tapes and he really made an impression on me. I will never forget the first Hayabusa match I saw. I will never forget the moment or the time that I saw it. It's burned in my brain. I got the tape from uh, the kid diddler in Philly who shall remain nameless. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think I, he's, I, yeah. I, I'm not going to say anything about him, but yeah, because there's so many, <laughs> so, so uh, many prominent 90s tape traders that also enjoy having sex with children. I, so. uh, <laughs> That'll be tough. That'll be real tough allegedly, to figure out. So. Oh, yeah. Okay. Say allegedly. Protect yourself. Oh, right. All right. Yeah, that's true. Allegedly. We don't know that he's ever had sex with a child. You, it's, it's, it's alleged. You're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, I remember going to the mailbox. I took out the tape. Um, professional wrestler extraordinaire. Big deal. Craig Steele came down to, the, to my apartment. We're uh, probably 15 years old at the time. I pop it in. We're, we're sitting in my bedroom. I pop it into VCR. We don't know what to expect. We heard about FMW. You know, we heard about, you know, through ECW or whatever. We pop the tape in. And it's uh, Hayabusa versus Mike Awesome. And... I don't know if there's another wrestler ever who made such an impression on me so quickly in one match as that guy. Yeah. I remember watching a match when I was I was super young. It was the early days of the internet, so I must have downloaded it. It must have been some weird download thing that it probably took me 25 minutes to do it or or whatever. I found some, you know, real player media thing of Hayabusa and I was just I was floored. And like what sucked is in that era, it was so hard to find more. You know what I mean? Like, so I was just looking at pictures and I was just researching of who is this guy? Where did he come from? Where does he do stuff? I mean, and then I remember um, it was in the summer of 1998 that I watched that. And then I saw him come up on ECW. It was the, the build up to Heatwave. And I went, oh my God, that guy's going to be in America. And it was like, I, you know, I, that's when I had to kind of pirate pay-per-views i had to listen or no i didn't pirate i listened to him on uh you know i put up channel 95 and then listen to him and i, ha- I listened to heatwave because i was like i just need to hear hayabusa in-, in-, in action because i just saw that one match and it was like there's the look 
the moves, everything about him, especially in FMW2, that was a perfect promotion for him to be that. It was just incredible. And yeah, he he was a guy that just the first time you see him, you can't help but just want to learn more and want to see more from him. Yeah, I think um, the third sort of weird criteria, the historical uh, influence in a positive manner on the pro wrestling industry, he's a perfect candidate for that. I think that's his strongest category. Yeah, I don't think he was a great worker. Now, I loved his matches and I love watching him work, but he was a sloppy worker. Um, you know, he wasn't any sign of any kind of great technician, but he was he he was very forward thinking and he was very influential in his style. Um, and his record is a draw. I mean, I, I read a lot of the research people did on our forum. Actually, we had a good back and forth there um, from a couple of different people. And his drawing record wasn't as strong as I thought it was in my mind. And that's sort of what kind of soured me on him. He's another guy who I could easily see myself voting for next year or the year after uh, if I if I um, if I if I do more research on his drawing record and 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 or if someone can talk me into it or if I go back and watch his man. But just in terms of a guy who I think really had a, a great influence still to this day on pro wrestling. I mean, he, he's a guy that's hard to ignore. And I'm very curious to see how he'll do. My, my gut tells me he's not going to do well. I think he's going to be one of those 20% guys that just sort of float around at 20%. What do you think? Yeah, I do too. Um, he's going to be a guy that's going to be there a while. But when you look at a lot of the other guys in Japan, yeah, he, he strikes me as that guy that's just going to be, I mean, like Shima's a 23%. Akiyama has been around a 30%. That's probably where Hayabusa is going to be for a while. Because I think the people that were really attached to him are going to vote for him. And, and he's going to have that extra attachment. But there's going to be a huge subset of people that just don't get it. Because I think Hayabusa is a you get it or you don't get it type of guy. Like, I'm sure there are plenty of people that go, okay, yeah, just wear a mask and he does cool flips. and all that. But like, you either get it or you don't with Hayabusa. And I, I just don't know if the people that don't get it are ever going to change it or, or that there's so many of them that do get it that he's going to go in. I think he's going to be just a guy that hovers around 30% all the and time. And what a cool look he had, right? I mean, isn't he? Oh, you couldn't. Yeah, that was it. That was it for me. It, was, it wasn't even the work. Like, the work was awesome, too, but I was like, that is the coolest mask and the coolest, like, get up I've ever seen in the world, and I, I just need to look at pictures of him, and I just need to find stuff. I For sure, for a while, he was like the pro, my aim profile picture or something like that, and I, knew, I didn't know much about him, but he was just incredible, and then when I discovered, like, I went back, just randomly, I was playing, like, WCW, NWO World Tour, and I went, oh my my God, that guy's Hayabusa. And then, like, I forgot what his name was in that game. And then I was only that character forever. You know, I would only be that guy when I was facing friends, when I was winning championships. It was just Hayabusa. I had only been He would have that effect. Hannibal. Hannibal was his name. Hannibal. You're right. You're right. Holy shit. Um, He would have that effect on everyone who saw him. You know, and that's why I think he's a stronger candidate than people think. And it's like, I know he didn't innovate the move, but the first time I ever saw a shooting star press was that guy on that tape that I just told you about. Rich, we rewound that fucking tape. We could 